This podcast contains detailed plot spoilers, adult language, and mature themes. Listener discretion is advised. Today, we go back, before the dark times, before the Empire. We explore the hero who became a villain and how he became the Lord of Darkness. The who, of course, is Harry. The how and why is the Star Wars prequel trilogy. I am your host, Jeff. If one is to understand the great mystery, one must study all its aspects, not just the dogmatic, narrow view of the Jedi. And I'm your Dark Lord host, Harry. You want to buy some death sticks? Thank you. <laughs> and we welcome back a couple of special guests. Andrew, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Can't wait to talk about these three awesome movies. The ability to speak does not make you intelligent. Now get out of here. No, no, Mrs. Stay. Yeah, it's going to be a lot to talk about. Uh, we also welcome back to the show, uh, Nathan. Welcome back. Great to be here. Why do I sense we've picked up another pathetic life form? All right, fantastic. Well, listen, guys, first thing I want to talk about today is uh, let's go back to the lead up to the 1999 release of episode one, The Phantom Menace. We'll do a little reminiscing as is more customary for the show. Harry, why don't you start us off? Let's go back to the months and maybe the year or so preceding the release of The Phantom Menace. What do you remember? What was the atmosphere like? How badly were you looking forward to this movie? Oh, obviously, I was like everybody else. That was the most anticipated movie release of all time and still is, in in my opinion. The first memory I actually have is, is not even just the year before. I remember the announcement. I believe Lucas even mentioned this. He did a VHS THX release of the original trilogy. And, you know, it's a controversy onto itself because these are the way the originals were originally intended before he started messing around with the special editions. And then he did a Leonard Malton interview mm-hmm. on the tail yep. end of those things. And that's when he started saying he made the announcement there that he's doing the prequels here. So I remember that. And I even remember the first magazine I ever, I was in Houston or San Antonio. My dad had a temporary work term work transfer there. And I was visiting there and walking around in the mall. It was so bloody hot outside. All you could do was walk around in the mall. And I, I remember getting the first magazine and had that announcement of who was playing who, like, you know, Liam Neeson, Ewan McGregor, Natalie Portman were the main ones there. And yeah, so those were my memories. And then the lead up was just absolutely incredible. I remember the first trailer and how it took me about like uh, five weeks for to download it on my computer because it was so <laughs> yeah. fucking slow. So and then, you know, the first teaser trailer, yeah. which was, you know, you could talk about the trailers are absolutely incredible and still stand up to this day. And then, yeah, the release itself. I remember laughing at you as you had to work at the theater that day. And I had come back to work that summer just for this release, just for the hype as a summer job. But I remember lining up for probably a whole day. We got there early in the morning and we were at North Hill, which was an amazing theater. Oh my God. I still wish it was open now. One of those old school, massive theaters. Yeah. Yeah. Huge screen, dedicated screen. And this was the final movie to play in that movie as well. Yeah. It was the final movie to play there as well. Rightfully so. I mean, it's a good send off in terms of hype and and, uh, the money it made. And that just that whole day, just the seeing the people in line. I mean, nothing has come close. Just, it's just, is incredible and amazing experience. That's my memory. 
Yeah, right on. I remember those Leonard Malton interviews as well from the THX remaster on VHS. That's that's a good catch. I forgot about that. Nathan, how about you? Well, you know, I remember <laughs> I remember going, I think it was maybe about a year before or earlier in the year, going to see the movie Wing Commander, just to see the trailer for Phantom uh, oh, right. <laughs> right? And like the big story was that people would go buy tickets for the movie and then leave after the uh, the trailer played. And rightfully so, because that movie's a piece of garbage. It, it is. You know what the um, funny thing is? Sorry to interject, I, Nathan. Jeff, do you remember yep. that we actually had a screening of Wing Commander and then our theater manager actually blocked off the trailer? And we were all yep. pissed. Do you remember that? I absolutely do remember that. That was so much bullshit. Oh, I know. He pissed everybody off. Anyway, yeah. sorry, Nathan. Go ahead. I actually slept outside that theater to buy tickets for this movie. I went with a buddy, and there's a ton of people in line to buy uh, to buy tickets. Somebody had brought a projector, and we watched Empire Strikes Back. There's just projecting it up against the wall. <laughs> it was a lot of fun, and, and I remember the, the night it came out. I worked at the bar that was next to the theater that you guys worked at, and I remember when I left my shift, and I was I walked behind. I don't remember why I was walking behind the theater, but then I could hear one theater like from outside, just everyone losing their shit during the opening crawl. And I was just sort of standing there listening. And I was so hyped when I heard that. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be, be in on that, you know, in 12 hours from then. So, yeah, those are some of my memories of, of uh, you know, those early days. As Rick McCallum would put it, fucking grand. <laughs> fucking grand. <laughs> <laughs> it's so dense. Oh, I got one. Yeah, I, I remember that, that guy, too. <laughs> Yeah, we could do a we could do a Rick McCallum series, I think, on on the show here. As, uh, yeah, probably talk about that guy. <laughs> it's interesting about the Wing Commander. I completely forgot that that little feature there that had the trailer and people leaving out just to go watch the trailer. But I'll tell you what, even if you didn't go to Wing Commander just to watch the trailer for Phantom Menace, you fucking walked out of that movie anyway. Holy crap, was that a terrible show? Andrew, what about you? Take us back to 1999. I know you mentioned before you did not see Star Wars until later on in your life when you were a teenager. So how much after that original viewing of the original trilogy was episode one? Actually, the first question I want to know is, Andrew, did you even hit puberty by then? (laughs) The question is, have I even hit puberty these days? I seem to have skipped that part and now I just have no hair. Uh, No, I saw it about two, three years after I'd watched the original trilogy. And I'm glad you guys have all brought up the trailer because my first real vivid memory of The Phantom Menace is waiting all night to download that trailer. And as Harry mentioned, those trailers that they put together, like even watching them now, they're absolutely fantastic. But I just remember the anticipation and waking up as soon as I possibly could in the morning to watch that trailer. And oh my God, that thing was played over and over and over again. And certainly leading up to it, there's a lot of hype. I remember we cut a school a little bit early so we could line up and there was a bunch of us nerds by the Coliseum that were lined up waiting for the movie to start. And we're all studying for a chemistry exam the next day that we knew that we were all going to fail. It was pretty awesome. But one of the biggest memories that I get in a lot of crap for is I went to Sentry Box and Sentry Box was a big hangout for me. And I remember going into to Sentry Box and I was with some friends and they had the comic book of The Phantom Menace that was released before the movie came out. And I remember telling uh, my friend Charles, I was like, oh, I'm just going to take a look at like two pages. It's fine. Don't worry. Because back then I was like all about spoiling the movie, especially the Star Wars prequels. I'm not sure why. Maybe it was trying to, I don't know, maybe it was foreshadowing unlike this time where I'm trying to avoid everything. But I remember opening the comic book and it was, can't remember which one it was, but it was either Qui-Gon or Darth Maul's death. Like that was the page that I turned to and I'm like, fuck this. Like, well, you didn't even no. have to worry about that. You just had to go get, look at the soundtrack tracking. It's like Qui-Gon's noble end. I mean, thanks John Williams. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> 
why I bring that up, Harry, because I just reordered the upcoming soundtrack for The Force Awakens, and they don't have a single track listed, which is great. I like how they're approaching it. But yeah, a ton of hype. I remember lining up for the movie. I remember coming out saying, oh my God, that was amazing. And yeah, times have changed. That's interesting that you say. I mean, it was uh, fairly well received by critics and fans alike at the time. And I think, well, we'll get into it. Time has gone on here. So uh, let's get into The Phantom Menace a little bit. First thing I wanted to talk about is after the opening crawl, after, you know, the first shot, we get into this uh, blockade with the Trade Federation. And I'm not, we're not going to go blow by blow with the movies here, obviously, but I kind of have some sort of problems here. I thought maybe we'd talk about it. Can anybody tell me what a Trade Federation is? And what is going on with this blockade here? Andrew, give me the rundown on this story beat here. I need some help. I actually rewatched it today just to make sure that I was really prepared for this. And I actually am going to bill Harry for two and a half hours of my life back. But coming into this, it's like I read the opening scroll and I was like, what the hell is going on? This doesn't feel like a Star Wars movie. So I had no idea really why they were blockading or why they were blocking. Fucking uh, Naboo had no idea who the Trade Federation were. Did think it was pretty cool that we we're about to see two Jedi Knights, but it still is like, what? No, this, no, this is different. And that pretty much set the tone for the movie. Harry, what about you? Opening feelings about you know sitting there. These are the first scenes of this new movie, and I mean, I'm confused right off the bat. What are you feeling? I don't know if I'm confused. I mean, the feel is definitely different when the opening crawl is talking about taxation and trade routes. You know, it's getting more political than the other movies were even though the other movies were dealing with the galactic civil war here you're dealing with taxation trade routes what were they doing here it's a good question i don't know if i actually get my head around it but i mean do you want to talk about like what palpatine's plan was here or just the idea of what trade routes are or tax what what is this blockade uh, we can get into palpatine plans a little bit later because that is a, a topic i want to bring up i'm i'm more referring to you know, I don't know, what's a trade federation? Yeah, I mean, you know, like we, yeah. like, are these guys, I was kind of watching, we're talking like, are these guys, are they gangsters? Some kind of union? I'm just, yeah, I, I would guess think what that, I'm getting at. Yeah, no, go ahead. No, I agree with you. I, I don't think it's well fleshed out, but I also don't think that that was really a point anyways. I think just what was going on here is that I think these guys were either suppliers or they're blocking further imports of food because later they talk about, oh, their people are starving, even though they have a very lush planet and vegetation all around them, but their people are starving. So that doesn't make a lot of sense, but it looks like these guys are blocking incoming imports to the planet. Like, they are the suppliers. It's their business. Looks like they're probably galaxy-wide. Like, these are the importers of everything. You know, when you talk about spice or food or God knows what. And they're blocking all further imports to this planet so they can invade and sign the treaty because they are kind of gangsters. How they come to manage this and are legal and all this stuff. They talk about, oh, is this legal? I mean, I don't know how any of this is legal because, I mean, you have so many. They talk about thousands of star systems. There's only one people who do imports, one business or one group of people. So it's kind of iffy and wishy-washy. I agree. I don't think that's the point too much because they immediately start kicking into the action within a couple minutes here. But I'll just leave it at that. My initial feelings here, I just want to talk a little bit about as the movie opened and what I remember from The Phantom Menace when I first saw it. The most tangible memory I have is when Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon walk into their the boardroom there and they pop the hoods down and Obi-Wan says, I have a bad feeling about this. 
And I thought, I'm right there with you, brother. The way he delivered that line was so wooden. And in the exchange between him and Qui-Gon after that, I thought, we are in trouble here. And that's not a good sign. Really? Effectively, some that, of the first lines of the movie. That quick. Um, Nathan, what about yourself? Yeah. As soon as he said that, I was like, oh, no, this is not good. The How do you even parse this opening? Um, <laughs> oh, well, you know, I think at the yeah, time, not easily. you know, I just ignored the, the nonsense that was going on. But I mean, wow, like trade federations and Tax. I mean, it's kind of funny when you eat, read the opening crawl because you expect something very dramatic and, oh, the, the galaxy is in strife over taxation. You know, it almost it's almost like a commercial for something and they're just kind of using a Star Wars motif to it, right? But it's just their boring business nonsense. Yeah, as to what a trade federation is and why they would want to block trade this one podunk planet that is never explained like i mean yeah they talk about the starvation is naboo importing something or do they export something i mean it's just it's just nonsense and yeah the opening scene there with Qui-Gon and obi-wan i mean right from go we're getting bad dialogue and if acting i'm just surprised that you guys find the acting just right away that wouldn't I mean, I'm more concerned with uh, those Nemodians when they're saying, are you brain dead? And it's like stuff like that. It's like, that's oh. cringeworthy dialogue. That's when I started to go, oh, ooh, man. Uh, that's when, that's when only... I was going bad. It, but I, Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan at this point, I mean, we can argue about the wooden acting later, but I'm surprised you guys are already getting that feeling right off here. I thought they were okay in this opening scene, at least. Well, oh. Um... Those Nymodians, though, when I watched it again recently for the podcast, it's almost as though there's parts of the conversation that were edited out, and they're just saying nonsense words. The conversation <laughs> itself makes no sense. I think the delivery of some of the lines there, I think maybe it's not that stiff is the right word, but I, I think certainly for uh, Liam Neeson, I think the way he acted in this movie was a choice. I think he is trying to be this emotionless or like someone who's in control of his emotions at all times. And he kind of, you know, nothing rattles him, um, you know, but it doesn't really help that the, the dialogue, the lines themselves aren't well written, but I think he is at making an actual acting choice with throughout the whole movie. I just don't think it's great. Well, why don't we uh, pull back a little bit here and maybe talk about some of the broader things. Let's talk about the acting and the casting as well. I, I think they go hand in hand. So your thoughts, Andrew, on the casting of this film and the performances that we see. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, There's so many different people to talk about. And it's difficult because I'm not sure they necessarily got the uh, the choice of the actors incorrect. I certainly think that the, the portrayal and the direction is what had a, a major impact on their performances throughout the duration of the movie. Like Liam Neeson watching it again, like I actually gained a, uh, a new appreciation for Liam Neeson. He seemed like the only one who was able to deliver such terrible dialogue in the script and make it seem kind of like a Star Wars movie, like you really wanted to be there. Ewan McGregor, I found this one, he wasn't as good as he was in episode two and episode three and episode two is saying something. But I think that the choice of the actors was actually pretty good. It was just the direction, it's a minus charger, um, the direction itself from George Lucas and the absolute god-awful dialogue is what really sets this apart. So for me, like, I was really happy with McGregor, Lee Neeson, but Natalie Portman, like, I think she was great for the Queen. I think the, the notion of her as the Queen certainly was good. The execution was bad. Jake Lloyd, I thought he had a pretty good child actor. I think he was in Jingle All the Way as well. So he, he knew what he was doing and he wasn't 
as bad. I was actually pretty impressed with the people that they did pick for this. But then again, I think that the direction from George Lucas is what really made these performances from some of them being Oscar caliber and Oscar winners absolutely dreadful. Harry, what do you think? As a whole, to be honest, I thought everyone did a pretty good job in this movie. We could talk about the acting in the other movies is a completely different story. Well, the acting we'll here, those. yeah, the acting in this movie is pretty solid all the way around. I also want to just give a shout out. I mean, in no way this is a great acting performance, but I am just fed up with all the people who just sit there and bash Jake Lloyd. Like seriously, he's a 10-year-old kid. Yeah, there are other te- there are other kids who are better actors than this guy, but he actually sold some pretty good scenes. You know, like that dinner, that conversation. I really like the conversation that he has with Qui-Gon and his mom and Padme around the dinner table in his own home. And he's saying he wants to help people and he's trying to convince, oh, I can, you know convince you know i forget the exact dialogue but i can convince Watto that i built it or it's my racer or something like that these are that's a pretty good performance from him yeah there's some things he didn't sell like the crying when he was leaving his mom and stuff like that and like oh yeah i'll try spinning that's a good trick and stuff like that there are a couple of bad lines there but it's definitely a in my opinion a bad choice by george lucas for saying that um we wanted to start off with a small kid to begin with he should have been a bit older in my opinion but i'm not gonna sit there and bash jake lloyd to, to the nth degree here i thought he did an okay job liam neeson i mean Ian regard did not much to do liam neeson carried this movie he's the reason why this movie really works now whether the casting choice uh, not the casting choice whether the creative choice of even having qui-gon we could talk about as well should that have been obi-wan maybe maybe not i liked what i saw here i even liked natalie portman in this movie she did a great job. I'll just leave it at that so we can get other people's opinions. And a shout out to Ian McDermott. Fantastic again. I thought he did a great yeah. job. So those are the main players. So the only guy I really hate and I always laugh at is the guy who plays Rick Oley. Shield Jenner's been hit. It's like, I was going to crack on that guy. It's like, there's bad acting right there. But I'll leave it at that. I loved how I was like, his eyes just like popped out of his head when he said that line too. Like, yeah, yeah he was terrible. <laughs> I love that line though. I just, I absolutely love it. It makes me laugh every time I watch it. Yeah. He looks like he's straining so hard. Like, shield generator's been hit. I know obviously that's a big deal, you know, a starship and a space battle, but a little overdone there. As far as the acting goes, in my opinion, I'm not going to bash Jake Lloyd simply because he is a 10-year-old kid. I've heard stories where like, a guy can't even walk down the street nowadays because people yell at him and throw donuts at him and shit. I will say that his performance is worthy of a 10-year-old and it is cringeworthy and I blame George Lucas for that. What's a 10-year-old kid supposed to do with that dialogue and that direction? Not not a damn thing. So you can't blame Jake Lloyd for that. I agree with Harry. Should have started with an older guy here, at least 12, maybe 13, 14 years old, I think would have made more sense. How about 10 and a half there, Jeff? 10 and a half might have been okay. (laughs) That might have worked a little bit better. It doesn't make a lot of sense for the story, I think, for him to be as young as he is. Forced or not, I did not buy a single scene with him in it, action or otherwise. I think it's very unfortunate that this is how we start with Anakin Skywalker. Clearly, Liam Neeson is the anchor here. He can class up any joint. I could watch Liam Neeson read a shopping list, and I would be mesmerized. He is that good. He really is that good. He was fantastic here. I loved seeing him as a Jedi. Unfortunately for Ian McGregor and Natalie Portman, I think they both suffered from the same thing here. They're both good actors. You see them in other movies and they do a a really good job. I don't think either one of them is ever truly great in anything, but they both give very, very good performances. And the dialogue here just does not 
give them a chance to showcase their talents and without adequate direction and with that dialogue. There's just, the fight was over for these two before it even started, unfortunately. And that's that's a real shame because I thought the casting overall, with the exception of Jake Lloyd, just as a char- in the character choice of Anakin Skywalker, was spot on. Yeah, I'm pretty much in agreement with everyone. I think the movie is passed pretty well. One of the other things I watched recently was the documentary, The Beginning, sort of the behind-the-scenes making of uh, Phantom Menace. And there were other kids that seemed to be better in the audition for Anakin Skywalker. But everyone liked this kid uh, more than Jake Lloyd, but George Lucas just liked Jake Lloyd better. That's kind of weird. You know, when you're a director who is not really a people person, you really have to be spot on with casting children. Children just don't emote properly. I'd just like to add one thing. I think George went with the decision of more experience with Jake Lloyd because he had done a few other things. And I think the point was, I remember when you're talking about the beginning, that documentary, there was one other kid who seemed pretty good. He seemed okay. I think I liked him in the audition better than Jake Lloyd. And he had a little bit more of an edge to him, which I think a serious edge, even though you're talking about a 10-year-old boy. But I think what George wanted to do was he wanted to show how an innocent kid who's pure-hearted became Darth Vader. So that's why he probably chose Jake Lloyd. I think that was a oh, great oh, sure. decision, yeah, I'm, too. I'm sure that's the intention. But, yeah. no, but at the end of the day, I mean, it's hard to direct a kid. I agree. I think the character probably should have been a little bit older. The other thing, and Harry and Prize, you didn't give a shout-out to Terrence Stamp. Oh, but he was in it for like two seconds. But yes, I wanted him to well, ask somebody to kneel before him, but it didn't happen. <laughs> I, I wanted him to lose um, his temper, like yeah, just overall, shake a microphone, I mean, something. Yeah, overall, I mean, I think, yeah, I, I think Liam Neeson probably carried this movie. And yeah, I don't really think anyone truly got to showcase any sort of real acting here. But I mean, overall, I think out of the three prequels i think this uh, like performance wise this is the strongest uh and, and just while we're talking about performances i forgot to add uh the brief screen time for ray park as darth maul uh, i know he didn't provide the voice for darth maul they had that dubbed over with another actor but i love the intensity that he brought to that role especially in the in the fight scenes the intensity in his eyes mm-hmm. and his body language as he was fighting the jedi was absolutely fantastic He really sold that character's anger and hatred for the Jedi. It was great. Yeah, it was great. He was like a caged animal, like a pit bull. He was just released. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. he was. So that was kind of the intention, I think. And he did a good job. Yeah, he did a real good job. Yeah, I thought that's sort of that's sort of an underappreciated performance from this film. But are we not forgetting the elephant in the room here? Misa back! Oh no! I mean... Oh no! Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't even know where you. Oh boy! <laughs> oh boy! Actually, let's just talk about acting. We're not talking about the story element here. I think for what he intended to do. He did a good job. I think the actor's name is Omd Best. I think that's what it is. He did a good performance for what he was supposed to do for the director. I'm not going to fault the guy. He did a good job. Now, Jar Jar in and of itself is a different discussion topic, but he did a good job. Do you guys agree? I think we yeah. can safely say he did a good job for what he was supposed to do. I agree with that. I think that's Absolutely. fair. Andrew, what do you think? Your thoughts on Jar Jar Binks? Well, I think Harry is right in that. Like, he did a great job considering what he was asked to do. But yeah, Jar Jar Binks, that character, like, I don't want to open up a can of worms. Like, granted, like, when you see Jar Jar in, like, The Clone Wars, I think there's a better place for Jar Jar Binks in the, the grand Star Wars universe besides showing up in these movies. But uh, 
<laughs> okay, are, are we getting into Jar Jar now? That's what I want to know. Is this just about the acting, or uh, are we saving Jar Jar for another? Well, well, I think we can. Let's save Jar Jar for Attack of the Clones because I think we need to talk about his arc if we're going to talk about his character. So we'll come back to Jar Jar Banks. Just one last bit on the performances. I thought that it was an interesting little piece. I don't know if this was planned or not. Uh, you watch the Phantom Menace and Obi-Wan, anytime he's got his lightsaber out, Obi-Wan really likes the extra little flourishes with the lightsaber. He's twirling it around, and he's always got a little extra thing that he does with the lightsaber and could have been emblematic of, you know, sort of a young, arrogant Jedi Knight. You don't see he's a much more conservative combatant in the second two films here. So I thought that was a good choice on from a choreography perspective and on Ian McGregor's part there. So I thought that was pretty cool. No credit to George. Uh, okay. you, you don't think George maybe said, be a little cocky, you don't want to give any credit to George there? I will... He's a control freak. I'm sure no. he's, I'm sure, oh, okay. I'll give credit to George. He, he is a control freak. That's true. It's possible. We'll say that whoever made that choice, uh, it was a good one. I'm willing to say that, you know, from a choreography perspective and consultation with the actor, like sometimes little details like that are often left up to the actors. Like, like he got to choose his own lightsaber guilt, for example, uh, you know, going back to the documentary you guys are referencing. I think we saw that. So, but it's a small point. So we can kind of move on from that. Gentlemen, let's talk about midi-chlorians. Actually, I know it's everybody's favorite topic. Actually, in addition to that, there was something mentioned right off the bat of this movie. Qui-Gon or Obi-Wan starts mentioning the living force. Yeah. So we can talk about these changes in the concept of the force maybe as a broader topic and you could add in midi-chlorians. How about that? Yeah, I think they kind of go hand in hand for sure. So, Harry, how about you start us off then? No. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. There's no way I'm walking into that minefield. Okay, I'll start off. Yes, I hate the aspect of midi-chlorians. I'm pretty much sure everyone's going to agree. The entire geek world agrees. Didn't need to be... Like, it makes sense from a scientific standpoint that there was, like, symbionts living in your cells. It didn't need to be explained, though, because what you're doing now is the concept of quantity of midi-chlorians. I hate that. Because now someone has to be super strong to be worthy of a Jedi. Like you have to have a certain count to be this instead of just having faith. And that's what the strength of, we talked about it, it was one of the strengths of the original trilogy, especially A New Hope, was that was part of Luke's journey. Like he was willing to believe. And I like the idea that anyone who is willing to believe and puts the time in for the training can become a Jedi. But George flipped everything around here and now it's like, no, 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 hold on. You have to have a certain number of midichlorian count in your cells or in your body. I still don't even get all this stuff because, oh, like now all of a sudden, if Darth Vader has only a certain number of limbs left, his midichlorian count is less. I don't even know if all that makes <laughs> sense. People still argue about that on the internet and things like that. So it's not well thought out. And I think it was a huge mistake. In my opinion, this was the mistake of this movie. Fuck Jar Jar. It's not Jar Jar. This was the mistake. He shouldn't have done this because automatically now it's not about faith and you're going to lose half of your target audience right there. But the concept of the living force, I like some of these other ideas that there are different concepts of the force. You're talking about, what is it? I don't know now. I can't remember what the classifications are. There's a living force. What is it? Unifying force or universal force. I'm not sure what it is and who believes in who, but I think it gives the idea of Maybe it's just like different concepts of religion. So I like that aspect of bringing some of those kind of concepts to the Force. It's a little bit more broader. There are different points of view. Maybe this is why the Jedi fell. The Jedi, maybe the Jedi Order as a whole thought one way. And here you have kind of a rogue Jedi and Qui-Gon who thinks slightly different. And I think that was kind of the point of what George Lucas was trying to do. Is that who Luke 
Skywalker became, more like Qui-Gon. That's kind of an opinion of mine that I have after watching the saga, but that's just me. It's not really fully fleshed out. I kind of like that because it leaves it slightly ambiguous for people to kind of, you know, put their own points of view together, you know, tie all the threads together. But that's just my thoughts. I'll leave it at that. Nathan, midichlorians, go. Oh, man. I always thought it was funny that the midichlorian thing is dropped for episodes two. But, yeah, kind of how Harry pointed out, it's real confusing. I mean, it doesn't make sense because then I don't understand how the light side and dark side of the Force then fit in with the midichlorians. I mean, this, I mean, between this and Jar Jar, I mean, this, these are the two signs of George Lucas having lost his mind because I'm sure he's like, oh, I came up with the, this idea how to explain it. I, I think people really like it. And I'm sure no one said to him, no, George, this is, this does not make sense. But, you know, it's done now. The only other thing is that I found it really kind of confusing the way they start to explain different aspects of the forest. I thought this was not needed. My initial interpretation was that it was just different ways how, how people call the force and saying the living force. I mean, I think that was a bit of a throwback to episode four with Obi-Wan saying, you know, create, you know, the force created by all living things uh, and such. And so it was just like a different, just a different way to call it, not necessarily a different interpretation of what the force actually is. We actually do get a another callback to the midi-chlorine in episode three, which we can come to, you know, my thoughts, I think that I kind of agree with Harry, the idea that, you know, the number of midi-chlorians determines how strong of a Jedi you're going to be, as opposed to any of your other traits. Uh, any concept of faith is now completely eroded. The idea that, that this is a religion now is, is kind of gone. So I don't like it because now, okay, now it's just, you get a blood transfusion yeah, from a Jedi and, and become a super strong Jedi. Oh, God. It's Skywalker yeah, blood, not Khan blood now, right? <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, wow. There's a million-dollar idea, JJ. This. There you go. There you go. Maybe that's what happens in episode. <laughs> that'll be episode seven. That'll be the cliffhanger. I thought it was a mechanism to explain the virgin birth of Anakin Skywalker, and, and I felt that it was nothing more than that. He, he couldn't figure out how he was going to explain the Skywalker lineage, and instead of just leaving it an, ambiguous, he had to say, okay, so virgin birth, there was no father. Okay, that's fine. Precedent for that in, in our own mythology. But now he's got to explain it with the midichlorians being the ones who conceived Anakin. Not a well-formed idea. And that'll lead, lead into uh, another story point that we'll get to. Uh, we'll, let, we'll let Andrew chime in on the uh, the grace and glory of the midichlorians before we go forward. You brought up that virgin birth. Is it, uh, no, no, I can't. I don't like the, I don't like the whole notion of the midichlorians and of course the explanation of the virgin birth because it just it takes away from fantasy and the just the mystery of the force that I think what made the original trilogy part of what made the original trilogy so amazing was that there's just stuff that you just couldn't explain and like to define the midichlorians and to have such science behind it in regards to like who's a force user versus who's not a force user I'll disagree with Harry that. The original trilogy didn't give this notion that anyone can learn the Force or be trained in the Force or become a Jedi if they believe in it. But here, like having like the Metaclorian count, it just it took away the mystery. It took away that fantasy aspect that we all loved about it. And when they explained Virgin Birth, hell, like yeah. I yeah. shouldn't say hell and then lead into the fact that I like grew up Catholic, but like I don't. It, it, oh, yeah, I'm going to hell. I, I, it was a cop out. Like I think it was a, a great way for George to basically say it's like ah. I don't know how to explain this, but I think there are so many better fan theories and so many other things that make sense when it comes to the virgin birth. I don't know. I just, 
the Metachlorians were an unnecessary addition to the canon, quote-unquote, of Star Wars that I'm glad, and I really hope they continue to move away from it in uh, the next trilogy. So the question I have then for you, Andrew, is that are you okay with, I know we all don't like the Midichlorians, but are you okay with the virgin birth? If Midichlorians were left out, would you be okay with that? I think she's lying. Not lying about it. I, I have absolutely no problem with the virgin birth. I think that, I don't think it's strictly necessary for the story, but I don't have a problem with that choice. If you take the midichlorians out of that, uh, sure. In fact, I, I like it a little bit more if you take the midichlorians out of it. It's a little on the nose with uh, Christian mythology, but as we've talked about in previous episodes, Christian mythology is pretty pervasive. So sure, why not? That's that's totally fine. How about you, Nathan? Would you be okay with the virgin birth concept if midichlorians were left out of it? Absolutely. I mean, I, I think it worked fine for the character. One thing I, I want to actually talk about, do you guys think that it was actually Palpatine that orchestrated that birth? Because that was oh, always, boy. I mean, I know we're not talking about episode three, but well, I know. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, the original question, I'm fine with that idea of the midi-chlorians are out. And it does add a bit more mystique when you throw the midi-chlorians in there. It's, it's very muddled, very muddled. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know if we want to get into this here, guys. <laughs> was it Palpatine, or I'm hearing the the, the theories it was uh, his master who did this, or something like that. The what is his name, Darth Plagueis, or something like that. The guy he's talking about. I don't know. Yeah, uh, I've heard those theories. It's a bit loose. Oh, yeah, Darth Plagueis. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, what, I mean, it was either Palpatine or or, or his master. Yeah, those, I, I don't know. Or, yeah, I, I think stuff, but that's none of that in the movies, really. No. There's nothing in the movie to suggest that. That I've heard that fan theory as well, but there there isn't anything on film to suggest that that's the case here. So I I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say no. That there's no way. Now that does lead into another story point that I think is important to bring up at this point. Qui Gon describing divergence in the Force, whatever the fuck that's supposed to be. But he speaks of the prophecy of the one who will bring balance to the Force. We don't even actually hear what the prophecy is. So how do we know? How does Qui-Gon know? How do I would rather they talk about this prophecy than the goddamn midichlorians. Tell me what this prophecy is so I can understand what you're because they're going on about it now for the movie and for the rest of the trilogy. So what's your thoughts on this prophecy and what's going on here? I don't really get a good explanation as to why and where the imbalance is. Like, I think the notion's really cool. Like, I like the prophecy of this person who's going to come along and dramatically shake things up. And by the end of the original trilogy, he does bring balance to the Force, and it makes sense there. But, I, yeah, it needs more explanation. Yeah, I think there is no real explanation or exploration of what balance means in the context yeah. of these films. It does yeah. seem to be an underdeveloped concept here, doesn't it? Harry, what do you say? I agree that I think from the audience perspective, it might have needed a bit more verbiage. But from my perspective, it looks like this was nature's way. I, that's why I don't like these ideas of like someone like whether it's Plagueis or what's his name or, or Palpatine kind of saying, I manipulated the force to create this being. I think the force created Anakin and he wiped out the fucking Jedi because they're a bunch of fucking pansies who deserve to be wiped out. And that was kind of nature's way of eliminating them. And then again, then he still, he did both. He, he eliminated them and then he got rid of the bad guy and Return of the Jedi. So I like this concept and I think it's okay, but I agree it's a bit confusing. But I like that it's somewhat ambiguous because it's up to the viewer to kind of try and interpret for themselves. Maybe it would have been a bit more straightforward if he, instead of saying balance, you know, bring balance to the force, it was more, you know, this is the prophecy of the guy who will destroy the Sith. I think that would have been a bit more straightforward for most of the 
audience, but I, I like the way it is. I like the I like that there's a prophecy. Okay, yeah, I think we can we can also revisit the the prophecy once we sort of look at the conclusion of the prequel trilogy. I want to talk about the lightsaber duel here between Qui-Gon, Obi-Wan, and Darth Maul. I think generally regarded as one of the best fights in the six films, just from a uh, choreography perspective here. Obviously, there isn't a whole lot of emotional weight to this battle. It's just a battle, but uh, sure looks great. Uh, Andrew, when you first watched this battle and when you see it today, you know, what are your thoughts? Is it Does it get you going or is it kind of insignificant just because of the players involved here? I oh, it still has an impact. Like watching it this morning, and it, the scene right up to where Darth Maul appears in the hangar, where everyone's like walking towards, and you just see the doors mm, open, mm-hmm. and the first two notes of yeah. Duel of the Fates yeah. hit. Oh, it's fine tingling. Like I just love yeah. the combination of the choreography, the music from John Williams. Like, and I was thinking about this. Like, I don't want to say John Williams blew his load when it came to like having this <laughs> epic of a piece. But this piece would have been also very, very perfect. And I love when it did show up in episode three. But in terms of the choreography and the emotion, like you'd see, like we talked about Darth Maul, like he just has this anger. The Jedi are like, this is the first time they've encountered the second time they've encountered Sith. But like there is a, such a, a tremendous amount of emotional weight to it. And I think the characters play it off really well. Unfortunately, I think the ending to me is disappointing. I think it oh, really so. makes, it's just the way it plays out. I think I have the high they, ground. <laughs> <laughs> did have the high ground and so I oh you got the high ground i surrender shit i think the notion of it is actually not bad is that darth maul was cocky he thought he had obi-wan i just think the way that it was filmed and how long it took like darth maul to just like watches him leap over and doesn't really do anything about it and then gets cut in half and then he flaps his arms on the way down like it he was trying to fly was... andrew Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> he hey, did he fly that's why he survived does, does survive i'd like to add i think you know what would have been better now that you think about it, is if maybe he kind of managed to flip himself to the other side instead of just leaping vertically up. He went diagonally the other way, and then he was able to grab Qui-Gon's saber and then have a quick little five-second or ten-second battle and then cut him down. I think that 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 would have been a bit better. The idea and the intention behind what happened certainly played out. It's just when you look at it now, it's like, oh, it looks a little predictable, kind of like the high ground. But Overall, I, I love it. Like, I just watched The Phantom Menace for this particular sequence. Yeah, I think it's the high point of the film myself. What you said there, Andrew, when the when the hangar door is open and he's standing there, like, yeah, and the first two notes play, oh, man, that's... What pisses me off about this movie is there are moments like that. That's not the only one. There are moments like that in this movie that are so damn good. Yeah. And it's just a... Sh- it's such a shame that there's so much inconsistency in this film because if it like the original trilogy played at like a nine and then it would have moments like this that would turn it up to 11. And this movie here, he turned it up to 11 at a couple points, but it usually played around like a six or a seven. And that's what's so disappointing. I love it when they, they're just looking at each other and the Jedi are like, yeah, we can handle this. And everybody's like, okay, we're out of here. The rogues come off. It's fucking go time when those Jedi rogues come off and you know, shit's going down. I, I love the lead up to that fight. So fantastic. The one thing I failed to mention, but is the, you can see the relationship between Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan here. Like that moment where Darth Maul is kind of backed up in a corner and you see Obi-Wan do like a little head fake. Oh, I was going to mention that. And then Qui-Gon goes it. in. I love oh, the head that. Fake. Yeah. yeah. What do you want me to say? Yeah. The lightsaber fight is, is amazing. We're all going to agree. The music is amazing. Choreography is amazing. All three actors put their all into the training and the choreography here it looks great and it's credit to the choreography i think the guy's name is who's responsible was 
Nick Gillard or Nick Gillard, however you pronounce his name. And credits to George Lucas. I still see like that was his intention was to amp it up because this is the prime of the Jedi, as he had put it in the, some of those early documentaries. It's credit to George. He even stepped in and said, I want to edit in some more martial arts maneuvers for Ray Park. Like I remember like he wanted to add a couple of more kicking maneuvers and things like that. And it's great. What do you want me to say? It's well-filmed, so it's not just the great choreography. This is a well-filmed fight. And I love the brutality of it, too. I love some of when Qui-Gon actually gives him the backhand punch, and then he falls down. I love some of these scenes, how aggressive and how primal this fight was and how fast it was. It was it was amazing, something we hadn't seen before, and the stakes were raised. Bravo to everybody involved. What do you want me to say? It's it's amazing. I want you to say you hated it, Harry. I, I know. You're, you're looking. For, <laughs> I'll add some other pieces here later. But. Well, I was going to say, just before Nathan jumps in there, shout out to Andrew. I actually have written in my notes here, Obi-Wan's head fake. So good catch, man. Yeah. So Nathan, what are your thoughts on the epic battle here? Yeah, you know, I hadn't seen Phantom Menace for a number of years, and I was surprised at how well the fight holds up. Yeah, and it's definitely one of the highlights of the film. I imagine that if they had made that movie now, there would have probably been more parkour though <laughs> unfortunately the one moment in the fight i really like and it's a little silly but at one point darth maul he used the force to like throw this thing at a um like a button to open up the door yeah and just the look on his face when he does it he's almost like it almost I mean, not that it needs dialogue but it's almost like he's like you there and then it's just it's a very neat he's a very physical guy ray park so i mean it, he was definitely well cast for that role Oh, I 100% agree. That's a great scene. I remember watching 60 Minutes special before the movie was released, and they showed the rough cut of this without the special effects of the droid's head kind of going to the button. And I looked at my sister because you just see Ray Park kind of pointing his finger and then moving it. And we were like, going, what the fuck is this guy doing? Is He's like a yeah. acid or something? It's like, yeah, it made, made complete sense. I also want to do another shout out here. Oh, a couple things. Like, I love the scene where... Qui-Gon and them are separated, but he starts to meditate. And then when the when the shields and Ray Park's pacing back and forth like that caged animal, can't wait to keep going, but Qui-Gon meditates. I love how different the Jedi and the Sith are there. It's well, a great... it sure didn't help them. No, it didn't, but I mean, <laughs> it, 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 yeah, we could joke about it, but it's an awesome scene. I love that. Look at that asshole meditating. Ugh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think it is good. I mean, that again, I think one of the things I do like about the prequel movies in general is that it does show the skills and the heights of the Jedi at this time because the original prequel or original prequels, the, the original movies, Luke does not like he's strong, but it doesn't seem like he's as strong as these guys are in this movie and you know part of that's just you know the movies are newer right but i think that shows like a, a, a really neat side of the jedi yeah doing things like that yeah okay so that's a lightsaber duel let's sort of pull back and maybe bring the phantom menace to a close here so harry maybe other thoughts you've got on the phantom menace if you want to speak about maybe some of the uh cinematography the way this movie was shot okay uh, and yeah. Uh, there are other thoughts. Uh, lots of thoughts. But we didn't talk about the pod race at all. And I wanted to ask Let's your guys' talk about thoughts. about the pod race. Yeah. We'll um, the- I absolutely love the pod race. I might be the only one in the group here who loves it, except for the fucking two-headed announcer who kind of, you know, dumbs it down for everybody. I love every aspect of the pod race. Yeah, the two-headed announcer I mentioned, maybe a couple of the goofy aliens for the other pod racers out there. But I love everything here. Because you mentioned cinematography. There's a lot of great cinematography here. Even though it's a lot of it's mostly visual effects in terms of how the look of it looks, but there's lots of aerial shots like through the canyons and things like that. I love all of this stuff. Looks great, sounds great, it's fun. 
I don't know about you guys, but I loved it. Yeah, shame on me for not bringing up the pod race. I think this is also one of the high points of the film here. The pod race is spectacular. I wish it had a little bit more story significance outside of satisfying Qui-Gon's gambling addiction. But it, <laughs> it really, really works very, very well. My favorite was Quadraneros. <laughs> Poor bastard didn't get off the start line there. <laughs> it's filled with goofy aliens here, but it fits within the context here. This is a good, fun scene. It's very well filmed. I know it's all computer animated, but conceptually, that, that must have been a hell of a project to undertake, just this one sequence here. I think it plays great. There's lots of tension. It's fun. It looks great, even. even J and this is probably where Jake Lloyd is at his best in the movie, is when he's in this in this pod race here. I think it, yeah, uh, he think did a good job. He did a good job here. Shout out to Kitster as well. And the young Greedo. I don't know if that's Greedo. <laughs> I mean, and I don't know I if any so. of you guys know that Brown little kid, I think his name's Kitster. I remember back in the day that was supposed to be Boba Fett. Is that yeah. everyone was saying? Yeah. Boba I, Fett? <laughs> I do remember that, that rumor that that was supposed to be Boba Fett. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Kitster's Boba Fett. I remember that back in 1999. Oh, brings back memories. <laughs> I really like the pod race. My beef, though, aside from as to why someone is not saying, hey, Master Jedi, this plan of yours is crazy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and there's that line that Natalie Portman has, it, you know, it's like, oh, or, and it's from the trailer as well, uh, where she's basically saying, you know, do you think putting our, you know, our faith in this uh, kid we don't know uh, is a good idea? And I'm thinking, it doesn't matter if you don't, if you know him or not, he's a child. You're depending on him. But my one complaint about the pod race is that Anakin doesn't really win because he's the best. He's really because he's the only one with a pod that doesn't blow up at some point. Yeah. I think it would have he been comes served in first better. and last, basically. Well, well, essentially, yeah. I mean, that's that's how it, he won by default is what happened. I think it would have been better if Sebulba, I mean, I know there's a bit of a moral lesson here of, you know, like uh, Cheetos never prosper, but I, the story would have been served a little bit better if Sebulba was not cheating necessarily, or at least against Anakin. I know there's, I mean, there is some of that added tension there with kind of the pod all akimbo there, but that's sort of my beef with the pod race. I mean, the race itself looks great. Andrew, pod race, man, what did you think? Yeah, I'm going to echo Harry's comments. And I think the consensus is that like the pod race was a, a really good addition. What I didn't like about it, and I don't want to necessarily reiterate what has already been said, and I think this kind of highlights and goes into like my overall comments for The Phantom Menace, is I don't like the unnecessary little cuts and comments that certain characters make that are explaining things on screen that the audience already knows. And that's like a big issue that I have with The Phantom Menace like when it comes to, oh, for just example, the constant example exposition, of, yeah. Oh, but yeah, the exposition itself in yeah. Phantom Menace, especially during the pod race, takes away from the effectiveness of the sequence. But I love it. Like, I think it's really well done. Jeff, I think it's great that you mentioned that like, this is Jake Lloyd's best performance throughout the, the duration of the movie. I, I really, really enjoyed it. Like, coming back and having actually sat down and watching it after a number of years, I, I really did enjoy it. But the exposition, God, and that is a common thread throughout this damn movie, is that if you just remove the stupid exposition, it actually, the pacing would be better. And I think the movie would be better. And I think it can apply to this sequence as well. Yeah, I think you're right there. Harry, anything else we left? Yes. I mean, we'll yeah, do final thoughts, but what else do we need to go back and revisit here? I just want to get your guys' quick thoughts on the concept of racism here. I know it's going to open up maybe... Oh, 
you know, uh, Pandora's box. Let's not try and spend too much time on it. Just a general thought here. Do you think that having Jar Jar there, the Nemodians, a lot of people complain about racism here, right? Like, uh, what is it called? Stefan Fitchett character for Jar Jar. You're talking about, like, Asian stereotypes and racism for the Nemodians. Do you guys see this? Or on Watto, yeah, the Jewish stereotypes here. Are these solid complaints? Like, is there a base for this foundation? Or do you think people are just reading into this a little too much? Well, it's kind of weird because I don't think George Lucas is a racist person. I mean, I don't know if you guys ever saw the movie Red Tails, but I remember when he was promoting it, he was saying that, you know, like this is an important story for African-Americans in the Second World War. And he said no studio wanted to do it because it was all black actors. So he stepped up and said, no, I'm going to fund this movie. I mean, I think he put a lot of his money into it. So I think some of the racist elements, I think you have to realize, too, I mean, there's a lot of things that have to happen to make a character come together, not just the the writing, but also like, you know, the performance and, and such. And I think it's more, you know, it's just a, an easy, quick way to, to bash the movie. So I do you think, think there's a basis wanted, for it or no? Well, it's kind of hard to say. I don't think so. I mean, I it's hard to say. I mean, maybe maybe it's a valid complaint, especially considering it's three different elements of the movie but yeah i think people might be reading into it a bit much i think i think maybe with jar jar it's more valid because it's it's so pervasive <laughs> i think the modians and wado i think that might be a reach if people want to read into it and try to attach different cultures to different alien species that are portrayed throughout the duration of this movie then fine so be it i don't want to get into the whole topic of racism here on this podcast about the prequel trilogy i just don't think there's any solid basis for people complaining about this movie it just it seems like people find a way to complain about everything these days and you can throw that this movie into that mix right now yeah i mean i tend to agree how about you jeff well when we talk about a bunch of like you know well-off middle-class Canadian dudes talking about racism. I'm not sure we have, like, the accurate cultural background. Harry, maybe yourself. There was you know. no brown guy being made fun of here, There's man. no brown guy being It was made Kitster. <laughs> like, like, the only thing was Kitster here, and then, like, yeah. he failed on a high five, and it's like, I was pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> I stood up, and so I said, what the fuck? Like... Brown guys can give high fives. Come on. But, um, yeah, that was, that was my only complaint. <laughs> you know what? I, I think that, you know, it's really hard to say to tell somebody what they should or should not be offended by. I mean, if you're sitting there watching this movie and you're offended by it, then like you're offended by it. So I'm not going to say you shouldn't be offended by it if you feel that way. I definitely would say that there is no intentional racism here. I would say that there is very likely no unintentional racism here either. I think that some of these complaints are, are definitely read into a little too much. We're talking about alien species here. George has always had aliens. They talk funny. And maybe they shouldn't talk funny because maybe that's, you know, saying that they're making fun of somebody. I don't know. If you have, like, a a brown guy on a show and he's speaking an Indian accent, are you being racist? No, not necessarily. No, there's no racism here. I mean, if you you feel that way about the film, I'm not saying that, you know, it's not valid for somebody to, like, like taking it how they're taking it. You know, that's just – that happens. But they're being racist against alien species that don't even exist. Is that a problem? Not a problem to me being a, you know, a well-to-do white guy. Yeah, I, I don't think so. I don't think so. Okay, then how about we move on? Just I just have one last main discussion topic here, even though we've skipped a, quite a bit of Phantom Menace. The idea and the concept of having Qui-Gon be the push to train Anakin instead of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Even though I know Obi-Wan still takes Anakin on as the apprentice or Padawan and I guess there's a bunch of years skipped between Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones. We can get into, get into it soon, but 
a lot of fans complain about Qui-Gon's presence. It's not that Liam Neeson did a bad job, but they didn't enjoy the character. But the idea that he was the one who found and pushed to train Anakin, do you think that changed the story points or the concepts of what was presented in the original trilogy? Yeah, that's a real tough one because Liam Neeson is so good here. He is the highlight of this film. But if I have to if I have to say honestly, like would the prequel trilogy work better if the I mean if the story is restructured to not include Qui-Gon or to have Qui-Gon in a lesser role and have Obi-Wan more prominent from the start. And I think that, you know, if we have Obi-Wan more prominent from the start and older Anakin, I think that probably serves the saga better. Doesn't mean we wouldn't know Obi-Wan's teacher, but we were led to believe that his teacher was Yoda. And then we got this Qui-Gon guy. It was an odd choice for George to do this. And I'm not, I think he had to do it because he made the character so much younger than I think we were all expecting. We weren't expecting Anakin to start out as a little boy, which I think, as we said, is a mistake. We were expecting Anakin to start off as maybe the same age as Luke Skywalker did, or maybe a little bit younger, and Obi-Wan to be already sort of the, not an old man, but a veteran Jedi. So when he made the decision to make Anakin younger, Obi-Wan becomes younger, so now obviously we need, you know, the Sage Master character here. <sighs> I don't know, I... I, you know what? I'll say this. I would like to see the alternate universe version of this movie where Qui-Gon is not in it or is not in a prominent role and we have older Anakin and Obi-Wan. I'll say that. Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah. And it's it's one of the things I've kind of complained about in this movie is that, well, it doesn't, you know, it, but it's more of a continuity problem, right? And it just doesn't line up. I guess you could explain it away, you know, instead of older Obi-Wan saying to Luke, okay, well, there's this other guy, Qui-Gon, and, you know, it, it's unfortunate, but I think, I, yeah, I think, like Jeff said, there's kind of no way around it now because you would have had to restructure. One way it could have worked is that on Tatooine, Qui-Gon had sent Obi-Wan to town to get parts, and then he found Anakin. Yeah, it might have worked there. But I think by this point in the movie, it's like anything goes now. It's like, who cares? <laughs> I think I like Qui-Gon's presence in this movie, but I think in tying also with Darth Maul, he, along with Darth Maul, are two characters that they really wasted. And I think Jeff's right in that like, if you take out Qui-Gon, it really doesn't make that much of an impact on the overall story when you see how things play out in episode two and episode three. But I think they could have really made the character's presence in this saga much more impactful by changing certain storylines. So while I did like Liam Neeson, I think he was the biggest reason, I think, to watch this movie. Unfortunately, his presence in the movie, in the grand scheme of things, isn't really necessary. It was wasted. And that's where I, I get disappointed, where they had such promise with this character and with Darth Maul. And George just didn't seem to know what the hell he was doing. See, I kind of disagree. I think that there is a concept here. It's a slight storyline that he continues. It's still not well explained enough in the future movies. I think he drops the ball in Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. I like the presence here of Qui-Gon because he's a rogue Jedi. And he's trying to say, I'm not veering to the dark side. I'm thinking differently than the Jedi Order. This guy gets wiped out. Jedi Order is just a bunch of idiot monks who are just sitting around. They don't know what the fuck's going on. And... Then you have Luke Skywalker, who thinks different than Obi-Wan and Yoda. We talked about last week that what was Obi-Wan and Yoda trying to tell Luke? Did they believe that Anakin could be redeemed? Did they have a different concept of what the Force is? You know, I agree with what Jeff has said and what you guys have all said. 
Liam Neeson carries this movie. He's the anchor. He did an amazing job. Yeah, I agree. I think certain story points in terms of continuity would have remained and be a little stronger if Obi-Wan found Anakin. But I think those relationships were not done properly, like it was not done justice in the other two movies. And you could have still had this movie the way it is here. So I think that George was trying to show something here with the idea of who Qui-Gon is as a rogue Jedi. You know, like Obi-Wan keeps saying, if you thought the way we do, you'd be on the council by now. It's again, not fleshed out. That's George's fault. I agree in terms of storytelling, but I think he had certain concepts here that he was trying to show. We have some people who think differently than the Jedi, yet they're not bad. What does that mean for the future? I might be stretching that concept. I don't know. That's just what I... I agree with you that, that and I love that, that concept there, but couldn't they have transposed those qualities to Obi-Wan Kenobi, the Obi-Wan character, as opposed to inventing a new character? Like, Obi-Wan could have been that same type of guy... Because that would have been consistent with the episode four Obi-Wan that we know. Somebody yeah, who's I, a... and I agree. It's someone who's a bit more roguish, but then maybe that's who Obi-Wan slightly became. But then you still had Obi-Wan and Yoda saying, no, 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 you got to kill Vader. So, yeah. You know what yeah, I mean? That's they true. Didn't, he didn't believe in Anakin Skywalker himself. So was George kind of like this discussion or these kind of topics in George's head? Oh, well, yeah, I could have had Obi-Wan be this guy, but he also didn't believe that Anakin could be redeemed. Lucas think that way when he started writing out and fleshing out the story. So he said, okay, so that's why Qui-Gon's here. In addition, he wanted to keep that rhythmic storytelling going that the mentor will die. So that's why Qui-Gon yeah. was there. So he, somebody yeah. could get killed off, right? The stakes are there. Yeah. And I think that was the biggest piece is the uh, to echo episode four, having the, the mentor die. And that's totally valid. I think that works. That has emotional impact for us. And like I say, I think, I think maybe the best I, I don't want to be one of those fanboys that like says, well, George should have done this and should have done that. Prequel trilogy would be way better if he had done all this kind of other stuff. I don't really want to be that guy. I do. Yeah, I know you do. I know you do. <laughs> I'll be that for you. I'll be that for you. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the only thing is if, if you guys want to talk about it, the pacing in the middle of the movie. We said that when we get to Coruscant, the movie just you know grinds to a halt and becomes uninteresting. Now, from a child's perspective, they won't understand the scenes that are transpiring here. But I still enjoyed these scenes. I don't want to get into too much detail with the stuff that was happening with Palpatine and the Senate and that vote of no confidence and Palpatine's plan. But I loved this whole aspect of it, even though I agree. I think it drags on a bit too long. So there's a pacing problem here. But it, overall, I liked it. What about you guys? Andrew, why don't you? No, I think uh, it, I think it works it. despite the pacing. It looks very Star Wars. I think that's why I like it. And, you know, Ian McDermott is, is in a lot of these scenes, and I think he's a really good actor, so it's kind of fun to watch that. It may slow it down, but, I mean, I think the movie is long enough where, like, you kind of need to sort of separate out, you know, action, and then, of course, we got all this exposition and Senate and et cetera, et cetera. I don't think it's as big a problem as, as people make it out to be. I'll definitely echo Nathan's comments on that one. Like, I was prepping myself, as I said, because I hadn't watched this in a long time. And when it came to Coruscant, yeah, it slowed down a little bit. But I liked the exploration behind the universe and the galaxy. And, like, seeing, like, the Senate for the first time, you see just how many galaxies or people who are representing the different civilizations are there. Like, it, it is, it brings the size of the Star Wars universe to the screen. And I didn't mind it. I thought it was pretty good. Like, it's a good bathroom break. But at the same time, it also gives some uh, good backstory to the, to the whole Star Wars saga. So I didn't think it was as bad as people make it out to be. I agree. There's nothing bad here at all. It, it slows down a bit, but I think at this point, we need to slow down, 
catch our breath a bit because we're ramping up for the third act at this point, which is all action. Like it's wall to wall action once we get back to Naboo. So at this point, we need to like cool our jets, you know, get some story beats out of the way. I thought that most of these scenes are fine. I mean, there isn't anything here that's spectacular. Ian McDermott is really good, so he can help anchor a couple of the scenes. I mean, we kind of we talked about Carrie Fisher doing the funny accent, and Natalie Portman's doing the same thing when she's in her queen makeup. She's got the weird, she's got the weird accent going on, which is a little bizarre. But I think that this was actually a good choice from a pacing perspective. We need to chill for a bit before we blow shit up. Hmm. Yeah. The only thing I'll say, just because I brought up the queen. Okay, so let's take a look at Naboo. Seems like a very civilized piece. They say that they're peaceful. They don't really have much of a standing army, right? The Gungans did, but the, the Naboo didn't really. So for a real peaceful, civilized, chillaxin place, why does the queen have like 12 body doubles that need to like act as decoys? Oh. What's going on? What's going on here? Uh, it doesn't, it, I never thought about it before. But well, the whole story lot. of, like, her whole backstory, I mean, if she's a teenager, now, this is an elected position. Yeah. So did she campaign as a teenager for this position? That's a good question. Honest to God, I did not know up until, I think, last week that Kira Knightley was the double. Yeah. Yeah, I always thought it was just Natalie Portman and they're just doing a little camera trickery. Yeah, I, that's so, so bizarre that, yeah, it's like how many how many assassination attempts happen <laughs> yeah. on, I, on... I don't know about point. you guys, but I've got six body doubles, you know, on the go as it is. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and also, uh, I always wondered if Qui-Gon knew who the real queen was. I kind of think he suspected. I think kind of think he suspected, but he didn't say anything. Yeah, because he's the only one who doesn't really react when she outs herself. And just some of the lines that he says to her is like, no more orders from Her Highness today. And, you know, the, the queen trusts my judgment is very pointed with it. I think that if it wasn't in the script, I think that Liam Neeson was probably throwing some stuff in there himself if it wasn't directed. So I, I got the impression that he knew. Well, I think it's time to wrap up The Phantom Menace. Andrew, final thoughts, anything goes, acting, cinematography, final thoughts. It's not as bad as people make it out to be. With some tweaking and, yeah, with some backstory that isn't properly explained, there's a lot of material that I think Disney is going to be able to use. And you see that through the Clone Wars. And I think it was just a very poorly set up movie. It had material that was good. It had the right characters. Cinematography, the CGI. I was actually surprised just how well the CGI held up. Like, I found this next to Episode 3. In comparison to Episode 2, I found this actually a much better movie visually than Episode 2. The blend of CGI and on-set filming, I, I just don't know what to really say about this. Like, it's not really necessary in the grand scheme of things. It's not bad. It's not great. It's ho-hum. I don't know. That's really what's coming to my head right now. Nathan? Yeah, I think the like at its core, there is a, a good movie hiding in here. There was just before we started recording, I was reading uh, an article and there was actually a fan cut. It's up on, I don't know how long it'll be on YouTube, but it uh, re-edits and removes a lot of the, the problems and it tightens up the pacing in certain scenes. So I'm actually, I might check that out because I think you could probably cut some cruft off this movie and make it a presentable Star Wars film. Yeah, I'll uh, give my thoughts here. I thought, I think that, you know, as I said before, I mean, there are moments of this movie that are so good and it, and then it, it stumbles really badly in some parts. So that's, I just find it frustrating that it be so good at some points. And, and so I, it, it never stoops to awful, but it, it can be just disappointing at, at other moments. But 
I think overall, there's a lot to love here. Yeah, it's uneven in spots and, and there's some wooden dialogue, but I think it's unfairly maligned. I really do. I think that it's it's much, much better than you know, mainstream critics and the fan base give it credit for. I, I, I really do. It's kind of a shame that it turned out how it did, but it's also a shame that it's not remembered as fondly as I think it should be. Harry, your final thoughts to close The Phantom Menace. I love this movie. There I said it. I think this movie out of the prequel trilogy feels the most like a Star Wars movie. We haven't talked about the practical effects. We haven't, our sets and a lot of the practical effects. Yeah, there's a lot of CGI here. And the CGI is amazing, as Andrew had mentioned. We could start to see George's focus slightly as a businessman and as a techie, trying to focus a little bit more on, I want to create this CGI world. I think he had honest intentions because he had limitations with the original trilogy. You know, it's well documented that once he saw Jurassic Park, he said, okay, now it's time. Now I can get my vision, you know, fulfilled in what I wanted to do in the Star Wars original trilogy. Yeah, we talked about how limitations make a better film and can those challenges to a filmmaker can make a better movie. Those are very true. It's not just related to George, it's related to everybody. But the movie here is very, very solid. There's a There are a few things where it stumbles, some pacing problems in the middle. The idea of the introduction of the taxes and the trade routes, as we talked about, can start to lose audiences a little bit. There is too much Jar Jar, even though I love Jar Jar. We haven't got into that. We'll get into it maybe some other time. But I liked the idea of this character. It was just too much of him. I like the fact that he was a clumsy oaf and... and We'll talk about his arc if you want in the next movie, Jeff, so I'll leave it for that. I love the idea of how Palpatine, who's Darth Sidious, orchestrates this whole plan so he can get elected. It's a, it's a great story here. I love Qui-Gon. I love, I love the acting for the most part in this movie. The lightsaber fight, everything here, there's nothing for me really to say I didn't like. Is it as good as the original trilogy movies? No. And I agree, it's unfairly bashed, I think. It's just people just got hung up on Jar Jar Binks for... And yeah, there's too much of them, but they got hung up on them too much to really see the good points of what was starting here. It's a very good starting point. Like People don't even understand what the Phantom Menace is. It's fucking Palpatine, you dumbass. It's not fucking Jar Jar. It's not fucking Darth Maul. It's Palpatine. Some people don't even get that still. Is that a fault of the movie or is that a fault of the audience? You know, people are stupid. So it could be a little bit of both. I don't know. But I, I like the movie. And, and leave it to Harry to both praise and insult the fan base of Star Wars <laughs> almost at the exact same time. Fucking losers. <laughs> Fuck those knuckle-dragging mouth breathers. The hell do they know? <laughs> All right, Phantom Menace to bed. Do you uh, recommend it? Let's just do that quickly. Okay. Well, Harry, why don't you start with the recommendation? Amazing recommendation. Very high. Not as good as the originals, but a very good movie. High recommend. Yeah, I will recommend The Phantom Menace. I mean, yeah, it does feel like Star Wars. Has some rough points, but yeah, you gotta you gotta watch it. Nathan? I absolutely recommend it. It's actually my favorite of the prequels. Okay, Andrew? Yep, definitely recommend. Good, fantastic, good. We're all on the all on the same page. Nobody needs to get cut off of the call. That's that's good news. <laughs> no, we need to send this po- we need to send this podcast to George so he doesn't keep calling yeah. the suicide hotline every night. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. This podcast is going to be what saves George Lucas. That's what this is going to be the redemption of George Lucas. We have to so. maybe edit out the rest of this podcast. Yeah, George, we got your back except for that part where we said you're fucking crazy. Um, <laughs> okay, Attack of the Clones. First thing I wanted to bring up was the opening crawl. Let's talk about it in two pieces here, the title and the opening crawl. I actually really like the title of this film, Attack of the Clones. I know it received a lot of flack when it was first announced. I remember Ewan McGregor saying it was rather ridiculous when when a reporter had asked him what he thought of the title. Do do you even know what the story of that? 
he was promoting Moulin Rouge and he was with Nicole Kidman. And the reporter told him about it as Nicole Kidman was standing beside him and they both just laughed out loud, like ridiculing the title. I remember that. Yeah, I love the title. I think it's fantastic. And the opening crawl, I really like the opening crawl. I think, you know, there's been a fair amount of time, 10 years have passed since The Phantom Menace. So they're alluding to some backstory here in the the crawl here. I I thought it was a really solid opening story point here. I, I was really pulled in right at the start here. Andrew, any thoughts about the opening, the title, the opening of this film? I echo the same feelings. I think it's a pretty good title and uh, the opening crawl definitely it draws you in uh you certainly get excited leading into attack the clones like oh my gosh it's like we're coming up to the 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 clone wars which we had heard about in the original trilogy but hadn't really got anything beyond that so it definitely draws you in that's where i'm going to hand it off to someone in before i start talking (laughs) even more so well well why don't we open it up a little bit so we'll take that i also enjoyed the the opening story beats where we basically have a terrorist bombing, an assassination attempt on Senator now now Senator Amidala. Harry, what are your opening impressions of this film? Uh, yeah, I like the idea of the assassination attempt here. I didn't really understand it because if they really wanted, the explosions seemed to come from inside the ship. Yeah. So you think they would have more success if maybe do it in space when so if people. Yeah. <laughs> would float away in space and get sucked out in a vacuum. That would make a bit more sense, but whatever. It's a movie. Not a fan of Attack of the Clones as a title, but I did like the the first start of this movie. But again, you know, CGI is starting to date here. I remember it was yeah. kind of eye popping at first, and now it just looks like a video game. But so that's that's my my thoughts. Yeah. The acting wasn't very good. It's like, oh, I'm sorry, my lady. Time to die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I failed you, Senator. Okay. Well, she still got her body double, so I mean, I guess that's a good thing. Yeah. Even though she's not the queen anymore. Nathan, what about yourself? Yeah, I'm with Harry. I do not like the title. It sounds like a bad B movie. Attack of the Clones. But I think that was the point. That's what Lucas was going for. Like the old Flash Gordon serial titles. I get his influence. That's sure. why he did it, but I, I didn't like it like yourself. Sure. Yeah, but I mean, that doesn't make it better. Or, I agree. Or I justify agree. it. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I think, you know, we're now, I think now we're, you know, we're starting with, you know, with some strong action. Yeah, I did think it was weird that the explosion happens after it lands. And I'm also not entirely clear on why Natalie Portman is being targeted specifically. Yeah, she's going there for a vote. I was wondering right, that but as I, well. So, and also, I think in addition, that's one vote. I okay, mean, that's okay. the thing. Is she the swing vote? Well, we don't we don't know. Maybe she is the swing vote. I think that's the official version. But then later when Obi-Wan's investigating, Dooku is saying, like, those Nemodians, what's his name, uh, Newt Gunray or something like that. He wants yeah. her dead, and he is only pledging his allegiance to Count Dooku if they assassinate the queen. So they're kind of yeah. disguising that attack as like that so because like otherwise he won't allow his armies to side with count dooku and stuff like that so okay that that makes it it makes sense maybe i'm giving it away but this movie doesn't make any fucking sense you know and i've seen it multiple times and i did not pick up on that he wanted revenge over the events of the phantom menace but it's it's so much later in the movie where they're talking like eh, so many things happen by the time we get to that at the end of the movie it's like you don't even remember what happened in the opening scene it's also not relevant in the overall star wars saga so it could be just that who gives a shit doesn't really matter what happens to senator amidala and the and the beef that the trade federation has with her it's irrelevant but maybe that's part of the problem yeah maybe question i did have though relating to that is palpatine seems pretty intent on turning padme over to the jedi so that she could have jedi protection but he's kind of behind the whole shit. So what is his motivation here for making sure 
that she has the protection of the Jedi. He's trying to get revenge as well. He's pissed off at Obi-Wan. So a few things. He's pissed off at Obi-Wan that he killed Maul. So he wants to put them together and also wants to get Anakin in the picture because maybe he senses the force that their destinies are intertwined because he's already getting a sense that this is going to be my next apprentice. He can kind of maybe get that sense through the dark side of the force or some future vision or something like that. He knows they have to be together. So he's orchestrating these events a little bit. And maybe with Padme there and Obi-Wan there, he could try and kill Obi-Wan and Padme and get kind of kill two birds with one stone because he knows new Gunray needs to still have his army side with Dooku to get his plans fulfilled. But if new Gunray saying, I need this senator killed, he says, okay, I'll let me put him with Obi-Wan and then I'll get them both killed at the same time because I hate those fuckers. I don't know. Okay, I mean, I understand what you're saying there, but is any of that actually on screen? Is any of that in the movie? No. That's so kind of what my problem is. Yeah, so it's a oh, failure yeah. of the movie. Okay, good. All right. Well, I'm glad we cleaned that part. <laughs> Let's talk about some story beats here, guys. Now introduced to the adult Anakin Skywalker. Woo! And, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No more. Um, let's try spinning. That's a good trick. He's now a whiny, behaving like a prepubescent teenager, even though he's a little older. A big, fat, whiny baby here. But they're in the elevator. They have some, and I'll use this term in quotes, witty banter. What are your first impressions of their relationship, Andrew? Yeah, you definitely get the sense that there is a bond between the two of them, irregardless of like the acting that is going on in the elevator. Uh, you definitely get the sense that they are pretty good tag team, and, and Obi-Wan's become somewhat of a, a father figure to Anakin. So I like the interplay. Acting leaves something to be desired, but that's something that's going to come out in future or in conversations about later scenes in this movie. But I did like it. Are you guys aware that that scene wasn't even the first pass of making the movie? He had to add it in. Because he didn't have the foresight, oh shit, these guys don't have any scenes together. Like any oh, wow. interplay like that. Like this was an added scene after the movie principally was done filming. Hmm. I know that one. Well, you could, you could spot it with Obi-Wan's fake beard as well. It's pretty yeah, terrible. his beard did look a little funny in this scene. I never <laughs> knew that. Yeah, That makes sense now. Nathan, what, what do you think? Well, you know, I mean, this opening scene, yeah, it's just more exposition to show that these two are friends. And then when they exit the elevator, we leave all of that behind for the rest of the movie because these two, I never really get the impression that these two are friends. And I think you can just look at all their dialogue in Padme's apartment there. And yeah, you kind of get this petulant brat, Anakin Skywalker. It, uh, and this was, I mean, this is one of my, my beefs with the movie is that I don't really feel like these two like each other that much. And I don't feel the bond. The dialogue indicates that it is, but it's the performances that I just don't, just don't bring it home for me. Harry, so what do you think? Are you buying their friendship or are you turned off right away? What do you think? Mixed feelings. I mean, I like the the scenes in the elevator, even though it was an afterthought by George Lucas. Should have been in there, so I'm glad he threw that in. Yeah, the acting from Anakin a bit bit off. But I, I want to point out, I like the scenes where they were in conflict when they were talking to Padme after about their um, protection and they're kind of at odds with each other. I thought those were strong scenes. How Anakin kind of thinks differently. He's you know he's letting his emotions get the better of him because he's trying to impress Padme. So I get it. But it gives some good insight that they're, even though these guys have a bond, they're also at odds with each other. The problem I have is, is they don't take that to the next level. 
You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It yeah. kind of just, yeah. it's like a very broad, here's, I'm painting it, uh, but I'm not finishing my painting. I just like kind of did one brush with a color on a canvas, but oh, now I dropped the rest of my paint and I have been bothered <laughs> going to the store to get more, right? So th- that's kind of what I think. I think it was a good start. It just didn't go anywhere. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point you make there. I had used the similar phrase in the last episode that we had where Star Wars is often, you know, and the characters are often painted in broad brushstrokes, and that was too the original trilogy's credit. And I think maybe maybe part of the problem we get to the prequels here is there's some of these topics require a, a maybe a defter hand here. I mean, the broad brushstrokes don't really do it justice. The elevator scene was a little off for me. When they're in the apartment, I mean, when they're just talking to each other, Padme's sleeping in the bedroom and they're arguing about politics, that worked a little bit better uh, for me. Maybe it's time to talk about the casting and performances here. You know, obviously we have the subtraction of Liam Neeson's Qui-Gon. We have the addition of Canadian Hayden Christensen as Anakin Skywalker. Uh, whew, boy, well, let's go there now, boys. Uh, let's, let's get into Hayden Christensen. Uh, Andrew, I'm going to give you the honor of going first. Oh, thanks. I was going to be like, well, let's talk about Christopher Lee first. Uh, but no, but Hayden Christensen, and this is where I don't, I haven't seen enough of him in other films to really get a good sense of what he's capable of doing. This is and pretty so, much it. There's okay. not a whole lot else out there. For him. If this is a good barometer of his acting chops, I have no idea how the hell he got this role. Maybe perhaps given his height and his appearance, but God. the No, it was all in the eyes, Andrew. That's what the behind the scenes... That casting agent is the one to blame, along with George. She convinced George that he had something behind the eyes. What? I don't... Maybe an Which is what you need for a guy who ultimately ends up wearing a fucking mask. Well well put, Jeff. Well put. But I just find it... It's so... Like, with Mark Hamill, you saw the growth in the character throughout the duration of the original trilogy. And my beef with Hayden Christensen, I know we're talking about Attack of the Clones, but I didn't see a growth. Like, there is maybe a glimmer of hope a couple times in Revenge of the Sith, but God, he is so irritating. And I think it's not as a result of him trying to be a character. It's just that's how he acts. And it really takes away from the effectiveness of the movie. Like, it's just, it's, oh, God, awful. <laughs> All right, uh, Harry, what are you, uh, what are your thoughts on Hayden? Yeah, he's not, obviously not a good actor. He didn't sell it. You know, you can blame George as well. He didn't give the proper direction. You know, the funny thing is, is like, we can talk later in the movie. I liked some of this interplay between him and Padme, say, when they were on the transport ship as refugees, and they're talking about, are Jedi's allowed to love? But they talk about attachments. They talk about, uh, they start teasing each other, and they start talking about politics. I thought there was great interplay there, and they had a tiny bit of chemistry. There was still a chemistry problem between these two, I think. But again, is that actors, George, combination? Probably a combination here we're talking about yeah. here but yeah i think what george was trying to do is he was trying to show him it was he was forcing you know the issue because now you had a and this is again going back to was it a mistake to have starting off anakin as a young boy that might have been the primary problem here because now you have to jump and immediately show him as a whiny brat and it didn't seem like a a logical progression because maybe this should have been the start of where he was and i think he should instead of being whiny like a lot of people think Luke was whiny in the first one, and he was a tiny bit. 
here it's just more forced. It's not natural. It didn't come off natural, and that's part of the problem. He goes, it's just not fair. And it's just like, oh, it didn't, yeah. didn't roll off the tongue right. And it just didn't make sense because, I mean, this is a guy who's in a position of pretty good prestige. I mean, he's a Jedi. He's in a Jedi order. He's training. He's progressed faster than any other Jedi. He's got the stigma of being the chosen one. I mean, there's a lot of pressure there, too. Can uh, fuck up somebody's brain a little bit, and we can talk about that later. But, I mean, it didn't make sense for him to be whiny. He should have been a bit more arrogant. And they show him arrogant later, but he's kind of all over the map, and I think that's the problem. I think it was a mm. poor choice to make him whiny. And that's that's George's fault. It's not Hayden's fault. Yeah. But even though I, Hayden didn't sell it, and that's part of the no. issue. Nathan, what do you think? Yeah, a huge misstep in casting. And you know, I kind of said this with Jake Lloyd. When you're a director who is not necessarily a actor's director, you really have to know how to, how to pick the people in your films. You know, because with the original trilogy, yeah, like sometimes some of the writing may not have always been been strong, but you had good actors who can deliver the lines. And I think Hayden Christensen, I don't think he's necessarily a terrible actor. I have seen him in a few other films. There's a film he was in, I can't remember the name of the movie, but it was between episodes two and three. And he actually got, like, good accolades, and I seem to recall... Oh, I know, you're talking about Shattered Glass. Yes, yeah, thank you. About the journalist. Um, That was a good one we had. Yeah, but yeah, about the the journalist, yeah. And I... It's been a long time since I've seen the the film, but I thought he was pretty okay in that. But with him and Natalie Portman, I'm sorry, these two have the chemistry of two sacks of wet dog shit. It is (laughs) terrible. I mean, there is there is occasionally some good interplay, but again, it's just I don't know if it's the writing or I think it's more the writing, man. Like George wanted yeah. to make this like a Shakespearean love story, like one of those old school, yeah, forties love stories. Yeah. How they would just magically fall in love with each other, right? It didn't work for our audience and our generation, and that's what oh, he's trying that's, to go for. That's that. putting it nicely that to say it doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. I mean, it is just all, I mean, the two of them, like the scenes, I find it's all over the place. And I kind of got the impression that what he was trying to do was it was similar to how the love story in Empire worked out. But instead, you have, instead of like the great chemistry you have between Carrie Fisher and Harrison Ford, you you get Hayden Christensen as this, like, just this lecherous stalker. It was, oh, it was terrible. And then Natalie Portman just annoyed Adam half the time. I have a couple of other scenes where, yeah, okay, they're laughing and, and whatnot. But man, it is all over the place and makes no sense. Yeah. Why does she fall for this guy? I mean, he's just, he's a whiny brat, he's petulant, and then all of a sudden, she's making oogly eyes at the guy for no reason at at all. Yeah, it didn't make sense. My theory, after just recently watching it, is that she is some sort of sociopath. (laughs) Uh, And I know I'm kind of jumping ahead here, but after, I mean, we'll probably get into more, talk about it more. After the reveal about the sand people and what he did there... Her line right after is, well, you know, sometimes people get angry. What? (laughs) These two monsters deserve each other. Actually, this is an added scene on the Blu-ray. Because I remember it just kind of cut off. And then this was an added scene because fans complained about this exact point. They don't understand why she would fall for a guy who just admitted to mass murdering a bunch of tribes people. The whole scene wasn't added. Part of the scene was added. Yeah, yeah. Part of the scene was added. Where she said to be... 
angry as to be human or something, and then yes. he says, well, but I'm a Jedi, I should know better than that. Right. Was and that added that's... for the Blu-ray? Uh, I think it was added well, it was... for the Blu-ray or something along those lines, yes. It oh was added God. back on the uh, original DVD release. Yeah, it, they filmed it, and then they added it back. Didn't make the theatrical cut. But this is the speech you give to the guy as he's in the police car on the way to jail after <laughs> murder after murder death killing a tribe of if not innocent tribesmen at least you know, children the women and children. the children yeah i would have liked that whole garage scene when they're talking about this that he didn't admit to it but you could tell he was really conflicted about it like he was crying he was emotional and he was angry still and he was and i think this is the fault of the whole concept here of like his anger towards the Jedi and this arc didn't make sense. And this was a missed opportunity here because of the Jedi saying you can't have attachments. So I'm assuming he did obviously didn't go back and see his mom all these years because he was in Jedi training and Jedi school and, and, and Jedi forbid those kind of attachments. So they wouldn't probably allow him. It's their idea. It's their philosophy. You're with us. You're no longer with your mom. And that's the mistake. That's where Luke is different and how Obi-Wan and Yoda kind of looked at that. And I think it would have been better here as if he was kind of hiding this fact that he slaughtered these people and he didn't mm -hmm. reveal it, but she was kind of getting something that something's wrong here, but she still falls for him regardless. I still think yep. that them falling in love, it's not believable. It's not well done, but people fall in love for worse reasons than even what was presented here. You, have yeah. to also re you also have to remember that she's a senator. She hasn't had time for any of this stuff. So the fact that she's thrown together with this guy, that's what George was trying to do. So I'm trying to just play devil's advocate here. It's not well done, but I'm just saying it's probably where George is just two people who are have their hormones raging, put into those situations, and then they never had an opportunity because of their work or their, their life has not allowed them to have an opportunity to forge these relationships. So they're put together, and then bam, they fall in love. Didn't work, but that's where George was coming from, I think. Uh, I think that's giving yeah, George too you, much Harry. credit. I, I think... No, go ahead. I agree that, yeah, that's what George was trying to do. But, man, like, it's so frustrating because the way it plays out, it's not natural at all, no. right? But I, I do agree that that's probably what he was, was, he was trying to go for. He's such an asshole, though, isn't he, Anakin? He's so... Just kind of... He's such a creep. But isn't, whiny, this kind of, I, isn't this kind of like kind of like this? What is it called? Is it Stockholm syndrome? Is that what it's called? Where people well, no, when you have when people when are you hold somebody hostage. Yeah, yeah when you hold somebody true. hostage in this like, but <laughs> I don't know what the terminology is here. But she's he's protecting her. She was just no, this I'm, is I'm, the uh, it's a, it's called the Kevin Costner syndrome. Actually. <laughs> 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 yes. Uh, I'll cue that song from Whitney Houston as part of yes. the end credits here. <laughs> they should have played that over their sound music scene in this one here. Running oh, through yeah. The field. Yeah, that was terrible. But yeah, okay, anyways. <laughs> but I think maybe because, again, she doesn't know any better either. She's not experienced in this kind of stuff, right? Yeah, but she, she does strike gonna... me as a mature, well-balanced human being, not somebody who would be interested in sleeping with a mass murdering magician with the laser sword <laughs> <laughs> but again i think that's a, a fault of the story i think you should have hid that from everybody right? actually that's a good idea that that probably would have played very well i think that's an excellent idea so one thing actually i wanted to bring up in phantom menace but maybe it makes sense to bring up now because we're kind of talking about anakin being a jedi was anakin sold from one type of slavery to another and he and he ended up still a slave 
Well, that's what I that's what I just yeah. said. Yeah, like he was sold oh, from no, being a slave into being a Jedi. It's not just the Jedi. Then he became a slave to Palpatine. Well, to the and, yeah. and a slave to his this limitations in his armor, like the, the machine, the tech, that technology as well. That's part of what Lucas was trying to do here. So credit to George for that theme and that arc, but it wasn't as evident. But I I did enjoy that aspect of it that he started him yeah. off as a slave because he's a slave his whole life. I wish we could have dug into that a little a little bit deeper. Yeah. Might have been uh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, let's pull back, uh, maybe lighten it up a little bit, talk about some of the action set pieces here. I wanted to talk a little bit about the Coruscant chase uh, where Anakin's, uh, ch- or Anakin and Obi-Wan are chasing after the bounty hunter. Nathan, what was your takeaway from this action scene here? It's kind of the, a darker version of the pod race. What did you think? I kind of liked it, although I think there's something weird about a Star Wars movie and having like guitar shredding in uh, as part of the music. Yeah, it was an interesting uh, musical it, cue. Yeah, I kind of liked it. I mean, I thought. I mean, still, it was. I thought it was well choreographed, and I thought it. Uh, it one of the things it did demonstrate well was Anakin's cockiness. You know, when he jumped out of the pod. You know, it's also like as a Star Wars fan, it's it's kind of nice to see these big set pieces of Coruscant because it's you know something that you'd only ever really read about in the uh, expanded universe and stuff. So it was kind of cool to see all that. It was very Blade Runner, I thought. But the fact that the bounty hunter kind of got away, I don't know. It it just sort of seems like, I mean, that Jedi are very powerful. So that the idea that someone can elude them is kind of a strange notion unless you set them up as a very powerful person. Hmm. That, that's interesting. I never I never really thought about that. I, I think we've been sort of set up to believe that the bounty hunters of the Star Wars universe are like the next most powerful group of people next to the Jedi. So, you know, they seem to sort of have their tools and their wits built to to defy the Jedi. You know, they don't operate yeah, under I think... code, law and order, or anything like that. So they, I could believe that they, they might have the ability to at least briefly outsmart and outwit uh, a Jedi here and there. Well, sure. And I think we do get that set up later with Jango Fett. And it sort of seems like his his equipment is specifically designed to fight Jedi. But I think at one point I did know the bounty hunter's name, that the changeling. I felt like this bounty hunter was more of a flunky or a bounty hunter in training. I guess they did catch her in the end. The scene with Anakin on on her pod there, I thought... It was a little unnecessary. I think that could have been cut down, be a little bit tighter. Uh, Andrew, what what are your thoughts here on this uh, action scene? I was kind of bored. It's well. fun the first time you watch it, and then going back and revisiting it, you're kind of like, okay, there's not really any type of suspense when it comes to the actual chase through Coruscant. Like, yeah, there are a couple of neat things, like Anakin just jumping out, and it, but it doesn't make sense at the same time because he has to perfectly time everything. I really enjoyed the ending of it. Like I really enjoyed the the scene in the bar and where they're trying to catch her and when they end up do finally getting her. Like I did enjoy that aspect of the chase, but I found the flying through Coruscant to be a little drawn out. And then the addition of like the guitar chords was a little weird. It seemed different from Star Wars. And when you mentioned Blade Runner, like I think you really hit it. It just yeah, just seemed a little too different from Star Wars from what I was used to and what I think have been used to in seeing all the films and all the uh, the series mm. series as well. Yeah, Harry, did you think this was effective or you agree with Andrew? 
I partially agree with you guys. Yeah, this chase is kind of boring in terms of rewatchability. It's fun to see first. I did like the CGI here. I think the CGI in this sequence is the best in the movie and might even be some of the best even in terms of Revenge of the Sith in terms of creating a full CGI environment like the whole chase. It might have helped that it was kind of all done at night because these are night scenes. So I did like the CGI here in comparison to the rest of the film where it really is gets dated and doesn't really work. You can see George's love for, you know, race cars here. Again, just like back in the pod race, you kind of get that kind of 60s American graffiti kind of vibe. I did like the, even the guitar string riff, even though I'm not a huge fan of the score overall in terms of the whole score for Attack of the Clones. The love theme is nice, but it's just something that I, is not something I'd, I'd like to listen to over and over again, but it's still a good theme, but... The rest of the tracks are not very memorable at all. I think this is the one where John Williams kind of didn't botch it, but it wasn't as good as the other ones. I also didn't like Anakin kind of jumping out of the car and landing on the other thing. I, I know the timing he could get right by being a Jedi, but the physics of the whole thing, he would have been still squashed like a bug. I didn't like any of that stuff. And for some reason, them going into that bar, it kind of felt odd. As you said, you guys kind of had that Blade Runner vibe. Yeah, yeah. I, I understand that. So I really didn't like that, even though I like the line everyone goes, I'm going for a drink. And of course, my favorite is, I want to buy some death sticks. It's like, you know, (laughs) I love that guy. But yeah, you're right, Harry. The bar scene, there is something off about it. And it's also because you, you have this action sequence, like this chase sequence, and then it just slows down to this crawl. Oh, It's just unnecessary. Oddly, there wasn't a lot of music playing in this bar, and there was no orchestral score from John Williams. So I think maybe during these scenes here, at least until I think the bounty hunter starts approaching Obi-Wan from behind, all the rest of the scenes there, there's not a lot of music being played, but there was so much music before. So I think maybe the movie needed to let, you know allow itself to breathe a little bit, but I felt maybe that's why it didn't really work. Uh, I don't know. But o- overall, I agree. It's kind of ho-hum to rewatch it over and over again. I-, I have some problems with it. It's not as bad, but not as great. I like how Obi-Wan takes the liberty of mind raping the death stick salesman into completely changing his chosen profession there it's like you know what i've decided that you're not allowed to sell fucking death sticks anymore and you're going to go rethink your life that's like good, good for obi-wan uh, the morality of the jedi in fine form here but hey at least that guy walked out with with both of his hands <laughs> yeah <laughs> want to buy some death sticks oh uh, that hand's gotta go <laughs> Let's uh, one one thing I uh, I wanted to talk about is we get a bit of a mystery story here kicked off with the dart that kills this bounty hunter here. I actually like the addition of this layer to Star Wars where Obi Wan is investigating. Basically, you know, we have a murder mystery here. It's following the assass the assassination attempts on uh, the senator. Uh, let's talk about this a little bit. Not something we've seen in Star Wars before. Did it play out well? How was the atmosphere? Harry, what did you think from the start where they get the dart? Uh, it goes quite a ways into the discovery of the clone army. What did you think? Yeah, I like the fact that Obi-Wan gets to go off on his own and have the adventure. And it gives a chance then to Anakin and Padme to be on their own. So I get why they did this. The only thing I didn't like about this whole thing is the addition of this Dex character. Oh my god, the, the 60s diner. The minute I saw all that, I was saying, fuck this shit. It's terrible. All of it looked terrible. It was terrible. I hate the character. I hate the diner. I know what George was trying to do. I hated the kickoff of the mystery. As for the mystery itself, uh, still kind of confused who the fuck this Sifo Deus is. I, I don't know. I remember the conspiracy rumors about that 
supposed to mean Sidious, and he kind of somehow convinced these guys saying, oh, I'm a Jedi, it's for them. You would think that these Kamino people, that they would be in touch with the Jedi a little bit more than 10 years. What was it, a 10-year break? I'm still building yeah. I'm still building your army, even though I haven't talked to anybody in 10 years. <laughs> so, I hope they got their payment up front. Sure. Yeah, so it's like, it was, you know, it's kind of a weak and confusing in that aspect. But in terms of Obi-Wan going on his adventure to investigate, I liked that. I don't know how far you want to go into this with respect to him being on Kamino. You want to talk about it now or later, but just the kickoff of him having a mystery, fun, was good, but I didn't like the Dex Diner stuff. Oh, that was terrible. Yeah. Takes you out of the movie. It's so on Star Wars. It doesn't seem like, you know, the go-to watering hole for an order of mystical warrior knights, uh, does it? Uh, I mean, I like pancakes too, but... (laughs) <laughs> yeah a little weird definitely a little weird uh, nathan what did you uh, think of the mystery storyline first of all this is my biggest beef with the movie i like that you know trying to take a movie in a new direction but i mean the mystery here it makes no sense and it, it is so confusing and very kind of convoluted as to how we get to this point because we learn all this from the dart so was that intentional for them to find that and to make their way to Camino. I mean, it's really confusing. And it's just like a, these string of circumstances that can't really see if it was set up this way or not. And, uh, oh yeah, the other thing, like with that diner, I think the other reason why it takes people out is because it does not look like Star Wars. It looks like uh, something from the fifth element, right? Because it's, <laughs> it's very Earth-like for no reason. Yeah, but Although, George was just doing it for uh, homage to American graffiti. So oh, yeah, exactly. I get well, I get the but, reference, but it's like doesn't belong here. Yeah, exactly. It's like why? But kudos to Ewan McGregor. He is an actor who really knows how, what to do with the green screen. I'm sure he really believed that tennis ball was that character when they're <laughs> filming that scene. I'm sure he was playing off old man. Oh, was he? Uh, there was okay. an old man stand in there. Yeah, he was playing <laughs> the guy who voiced Dex. He's an older gentleman and. He was there, and then I guess he just got erased. <laughs> and, uh, oh, jeez. Overlapped with this. Oh, this is, in my opinion, I think this was the worst CGI creation in the prequels was Dex. It, and it does not hold up. No, it's terrible. Oh, my God. In yeah. terms of looks, it's terrible. Oh, Yeah, I like how we've also merged the idea of, like, the mystery of the story with this stupid character in the diner. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but... But yeah, I think I do like the idea of changing up a Star Wars movie and introducing this mystery. That's a cool idea, but man, it's real confusing. And it's one of my bigger problems with this film. Yeah, it's like we needed like a, a Murder, She Wrote style exposition scene at the end of the mystery where everybody's in like one room and Obi-Wan's walking <laughs> around explaining the solution to the mystery. I think that's what we were missing here. <laughs> yes. Andrew, I <laughs> would love think? that. Yeah, yeah both, both the guys really kind of explained my feelings on the whole situation. Like that, the mystery, I like the addition of it. The exploration and explanation of it, I don't think really plays out through the prequel or any of the actual subsequent series, like the Clone Wars. So it's a little disappointing, Like, I, but I did like this whole mystery behind it, similar to what we saw in Phantom Menace. But God, I have to add to the diner. Like, I am so glad you guys talked about that because I had forgotten <laughs> about this scene. And then when I watched it, and then when I saw Obi-Wan hug him, I'm like, oh my god, like, how dated does this feel? Like, Attack of the Clones, it's really weird because I found Episode 1, The Phantom Menace, to be, it hasn't aged. It looks pretty good. 
but Attack of the Clones, it just looks like the entire movie, like besides the Naboo scenes, like was the entire movie filled on the green screen? Looks like, like it. And it Pretty really close. shows yeah. it. That that's yeah. the problem. And so it doesn't feel natural. And I know we're talking about the mystery, but God, when the CGI is that bad, it throws you off. You're like, I don't care about the mystery. This CGI is crap. Since we're talking about this mystery, who the fuck was Sifo Deus? I know that he was supposed to be this Jedi master, as Obi-Wan said, who got killed. Uh, what was he doing ordering these clones? Who ordered him to do it? Was he the guy who erased the records? I thought it was Dooku who said, I'm just fucking Sifo Deus. I made this fucking name up. I'm not sure. I, what the fuck well, is going what on I here? Know. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. I mean, Sifo Deus was a real Jedi because Obi-Wan knew the name. But it was a Jedi who had died. So then Count Dooku, under the command and control of Darth Sidious, took the name of an expired Jedi to order this army that the Chancellor knew he was going to need in order to seize power. But again, that is that is not actually in the film. Well, it is in the right? film because it, the... Cause the uh, no, the, they never the explained Kamen, that. Yeah, well, no, the, the Camino, Camino Owens, the fuck those guys are, <laughs> they say, they talk about Sifo-Dyas, but they know that Django was the person that they're making clones after. And so he goes to interrogate Django Fett, and Django's like, I was recruited by somebody named Darth Tyrannus, who was Count Dooku. I get that, but... So that's the connection there. It's yeah, real sloppy. Yeah. We definitely needed the, the Angela Fletcher scene. Just didn't fucking get it, so... But speaking of Django Fett, I wanted to talk about the action scene here. You know, Obi-Wan, so we have the Jedi versus the Bounty Hunter. Uh, first time we've really seen this other than i mean obviously luke battled uh boba fett briefly in return of the jedi but we have a, a drawn out scene here so the jedi versus non-jedi how did this work for you? Did you was this a good action scene was it exciting did you believe that this bounty hunter could go toe-to-toe with the jedi uh, nathan what were your thoughts here i have kind of mixed feelings about this action scene because as to why it even occurs in the first place is bizarre but it uh, it feels kind of low energy. I you know I remember when the trailers for this movie came out, and you know we see Django Fat and some hints of the battles. Like, oh yeah, this is going to be awesome. And I felt a little bit let down. It's not terrible, but it is not nearly as great as it should be. And I think the follow up, not really asteroid, but like the ring system battle, I thought that was boring too. Hmm. Interesting, um, Harry. What did you think? I like the scene where they're battling each other on the platform. I thought that was good. It was exciting. I mean, it wasn't the most exciting action set piece in all of Star Wars, but it wasn't terrible. It gave Obi-Wan, again, something, a chance to do. And I agree with Nathan. I think the, the space chase scene afterwards is absolutely terrible. Not only do you start ripping off some elements of the asteroid chase scene in, uh, from Empire Strikes Back, especially how, you know, you're going, obviously you're going through an asteroid field, and then you're also having the ship hide in a similar way that the Millennium Falcon hit, even though it wasn't on an asteroid, it was on a Star Destroyer. So you're getting some copying here, and I didn't like that. But I also wanted to ask you guys just the concept of Django Fett. We didn't talk about Anakin building 3PO and Phantom Menace. These kind of choices are making the world small. I didn't need to see Boba Fett's origins. Why not do a different bounty hunter here? I feel George Lucas, this is the movie, I wrote this down. This is the movie where George Lucas was starting to cater to the fanboys because of the backlash of The Phantom Menace. 
And I think he threw Django Fett in here and Boba Fett in here and this kind of crap because as a reaction to the negative criticism of The Phantom Menace, and he started to deviate from his original vision. And I definitely want to have that chat later at the end of this whole podcast. But what do you guys think of the idea of Django Fett himself? And are we making the universe smaller by having him here? I'm kind of of two opinions on this one. I mean, I know that you have a big problem with you know, making the universe smaller. My biggest problem with, you know, the universe sizing, if you will, was with Anakin building 3PO. It wasn't necessary here. Again, as I said last week, in the Star Wars universe, fate is a real thing. Characters' destinies are tied together through the Force. So it does kind of make sense that, you know, we can kind of circle back. So the idea of Jango Fett being here, I actually didn't have a problem with at all. I, I kind of thought that it was kind of cool. What I didn't like was seeing young Boba Fett at all. We could have just seen Django Fett and that would have been it, you know, and, and not known anything about, we know that the clones are based on him. So as an audience viewer, I have enough intelligence to infer that the later Boba Fett that we see is a clone of some kind. Like why does Django want an unaltered clone for himself? Like why does he want a mini me to raise as his own and this kid's got this kid's just the same age as Anakin was in episode one. He's relishing in his father, you know, murdering a Jedi or trying to murder a Jedi. It's a, I mean, obviously the guy's a sociopath because he's, you know, who he is. But I mean, that's that's some cold shit right there. And I don't think that adds a lot to the mythos at all. I think it was much more effective to have Boba just as a mysterious bounty hunter. And I, I didn't have a problem with Jango Fett at all. We knew there was a connection between the two, and that was probably good enough. Didn't need to see this little kid. Kind of stupid. Andrew, what are your thoughts on that and this action scene? Uh, well, I think Django was included, this is my thinking now, is that it gave George an opportunity to provide Boba Fett with a legitimate action sequence that he was really missing from the original trilogy because he's such a huge and popular character from the original trilogy, even though no he doesn't have reason. much... For, no, for reason. no good reason. But then, Andrew, isn't this catering to the fanboys? Exactly. So that's what I'm saying. It's like he was thrown in to cater. Like, was it necessary? Like, I don't think Boba, just like Jeff mentioned, Boba didn't need to be in this. Like, Django, I thought, was was pretty cool. But I think it basically, he used Django as a way to have, like, Boba in the movie. So it wasn't necessary. Did I like the fight sequence? Like, it was kind of cool on Kamino. But what really struck me is that watching the asteroid sequence, Harry, you mentioned this before when it came to the chase on Coruscant, but there wasn't music for, like, the first half of it. Yeah. And it made it so much more boring like i'm like okay like i just hear special like i thought my tv was actually had actually broken but it turns out it wasn't the case like it just it was so boring and what also pissed me off was boba during this chase sequence telling his dad what to do and i'm like fire no, don't, fire yeah. don't that. get him dad <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness those, those little bits of exposition are present throughout the entire prequel trilogy and I think about like how effective they would be. And I talked about this in Phantom Menace. You take out those little moments and it actually makes the sequences so much better. So while I thought the, the character was cool, uh, Harry, you're, you're right. I think it's total fan service that, that George threw him in. Uh, I don't know if George is in touch enough with the fan base to, to know to do that. I, I could see where that comes in. I, I really enjoyed this action sequence, actually. Maybe it was just Obi-Wan's sweet jump kick to open proceedings there. Uh, I thought it was kind of cool to see some unarmed combat from a Jedi, he loses his lightsaber there, and there, you know, there's some hand-to-hand stuff. I thought was I thought that was pretty cool. I actually really liked the chase scenes through the through the ring belt there. I thought that was pretty cool. I thought that worked really well. So 
screw you guys, I guess. I, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, part of my problem, though, too, is that I watched this movie directly after Empire Strikes Back uh, in the same day. Why? Uh, and, well, it was just, you know, because. Well, well, there's a reason why, and we'll talk about that after. Yeah, it just felt like there was too much copying. You know, maybe if I'd watched it on a different day, but I think that did not help. So another story point, you know, as we kind of move into the uh, the third act of the film here, so on Geonosis, and we have the congregation of all of the separatists and Count Duke who's there. Did you guys notice that every faction that's mentioned is some type of uh, economic group? We have the Trade Federation, yeah. the Bank Plan, the Commerce Guild, Corporate Alliance. What message is George trying to send to us here? Because also... It's not entirely clear that they're all bad guys because we know that the Republic is going to fall into the Empire, that they're going to be the bad guys. So, so Jeff, this is going back to my point, George Lucas throwing social commentary into Star Wars. It's obviously no coincidence that Newt Gunray, is that supposed to be Newt Gingrich? Newt Gingrich is like a pretty liberal Democratic <laughs> senator, though. He's not a, he's not. These are the economic fat cats. So if you wanted to take American political commentary into it, these would be the Republican fat cats, right? And yeah. Newt Gingrich was not that at all. What I'm trying to say is in terms of economic debate. Well, that's what I'm saying. But what yeah. is he saying? Well, no, this is where he drops the ball because I still don't even know. Okay. But it's also not clear who are these guys, like they're part of uh, the Republic in what capacity? Because it seems as though it would be star systems that would have had some representation in the Senate, and they're going to leave. Sort of if you said, well, you know, Texas wants to secede. But these guys, are, I don't understand, like, yeah, they're like, they're like, you why they're so, yeah, it's really strange. Sense, yeah, yeah, yeah like, no we know sense. the Trade Federation has a seat on the Senate because they were shown in the Phantom. Oh, I guess that's a good point, yeah. But why would unions and associations have Senate seats? In a republic, yeah, and that's what I. Well, don't this is a universe where queens are elected <laughs> at so. fifteen years old, fourteen. At, years old. Yeah, some of the stuff isn't fleshed out enough, and probably shouldn't have been thrown in there in the first place. But we meet Count Dooku, aka Darth Tyrannus, Christopher Lee rolling in like a boss. Uh, boys, what what do we think about the casting of Christopher Lee, Andrew? I love Christopher Lee in this. Like, it definitely brings some bravado to it, and the scenes that he's in, like, I think he he's a scene stealer. I really liked his addition because it is just he is that classic bad guy from cinema, and a little surprising, but at the same time, his addition I think really I don't want to say really helped this movie because there wasn't much that this movie could have done to really help it out, but certainly set the stage for the type of character that he is. Although they didn't explore him more than another wasted character like here's a perfect casting but we barely get to see him in this movie and in attack of the clones like it he should have had a more prominent role yeah that would have been nice to see him a little bit more uh harry what do you think about christopher lee as count dooku well i like christopher lee he's very i wouldn't say a very good actor but he's very prominent he's very distinguished so he, he brought a lot to the role and he did class up the joint I just think it was a poor decision to have your next Sith Lord be that old. Because I just think, it, I know what they're trying to do, is they're trying to make it a radical departure from what we saw with Darth Maul, something different. I just think it provided a less interesting villain. And, and I have a lot of problems with, with Count Dooku as a whole, like the way he was used. I, I don't know. I'm not a fan of the character. It's not about Christopher Lee. He did a good job. I just don't like Count Dooku himself. That's just me. So tell us about some of your problems with Count well, Dooku. Um, well, we, it goes into the... 
like you're getting into the action scenes too, right? Like you're talking about, yep. okay, you're talking about, first of all, a Jedi who's left the order. They're not really explained why he could, maybe there's a hint. Oh, well, Qui-Gon died. So fuck you guys. I'm leaving. So I don't get why he left. There's, there's no backstory there. Cause the Jedi said, Oh, he used to be a Jedi. It's not this character, but yet he's here. So why there's not explained why he went to the bad side. Was it Qui-Gon's death that made him go over? He didn't believe anymore. Or maybe, you know, he could see the Jedi was about to fall and he wanted to help. But then it looks like he's kind of playing, he's a two-face. Like he's saying one thing to Obi-Wan and then he's just, you know, he's a slave to Darth Sidious and the Emperor. So I don't think these these concepts aren't fleshed out enough for me to enjoy the character. And the fact that he's an older actor now kind of dumbs down some of the action scenes that he's in. Even though Mm. he is a good actor, I just think that they could have gone with somebody younger and more agile. Because I, I just feel that he wasn't worthy enough as a successor to Darth Maul. That's just me. Hmm. But I get yeah. what they were going. Like they he was more about using the the powers of the force instead of the swordsman or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I thought there were interesting questions raised here that needed more screen time. I mean, it seemed like he was playing both sides against each other. Like, yeah, what was his you know, role? I don't understand. Was exactly. he just was he just lying? And then he's like serving Sidious and there's nothing to what he's saying to anybody else. Or was he actually going to try and recruit Obi-Wan and he didn't believe in the Republic as it was. And and that's why he kind of went along with Sidious, but he was really kind of a half bad guy or a half Sith Lord or I don't know. Yeah, it's not it's not fleshed out. So it's a confusing character. I didn't like that. Yeah, I completely agree with you. There's there's interesting questions, but nothing's. Nothing's explored. I mean, because he raises those interesting questions that, you know, there's corruption in the Senate and there's, you know, good reason for the separatist movements. I mean, that would have been more interesting if that play was legit and not orchestrated. And I'll take this to the next level because this is where Anakin should have gone. And yet this is not Anakin's, this is not Anakin's story. He didn't go there. He went somewhere else and so disappointing, but we'll get to that. Yeah. Christopher Lee, Count Dooku, Nathan, what, uh, what are your thoughts on this character and how it how it played out. I really like Christopher Lee, but I have to agree with Harry. It's really odd that they would choose a much older actor for this role because it makes the character confusing because at what point in his Jedi career would he have been recruited by Palpatine? The other thing I, I'd like to know what you guys think, the reveal at the end of the movie that, like the official reveal that Dooku is Palpatine's apprentice was this supposed to be like a like a mind blowing reveal? Because I remember when it happened, I was like, "Yeah, this seems obvious to me." Yeah, it wasn't surprising at all. It just kind of fell flat. Yeah, and I think it, it's, it was probably a character that had potential for explanation. I, it almost would have made more sense if he was just more of a like a dark Jedi, and you left Palpatine out of it. Because it's real confusing what his goal is, especially when he's trying to turn Obi Wan. Because he's, you know, he's trying to tell Obi-Wan, well, you know, I'm, I'm still with the light side of the force, you know, come join me and we'll destroy the Sith. But then what would have happened if Obi-Wan said yes? Okay, just a couple of ground rules, but we're actually going <laughs> to use a little bit of dark side now. And uh, I want you to meet this other guy. You know, don't look too closely under the hood there. He doesn't like that, right? So, I mean, it's just, it's bizarre. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I, I think I think it's a it's a real like I think it's a waste of Christopher Lee. I mean, that was a badass lightsaber he has. I think that was cool, but it's a, a wasted character. Yeah, I think he is a wasted character. Uh, it, it is unfortunate. Again, interesting questions. No, 
interesting answers. Uh, it's too bad. So we get, I'm not trying to go beat for beat, but there is an important story point here in the Senate. And thanks to fucking Jar Jar. Misa propose. <laughs> oh my god that was as good as your yoda man that's pretty good um the only thing that jar jar had to do this entire movie was hand executive power to the ultimate bad guy jar jar's the new villain man he's jar the real simpler the he orchestrated yeah, he everything simpler. i love yeah, the theories he, on the internet <laughs> he needed a fucking lightsaber to the gullet this guy that's for sure <laughs> I hated Palpatine's. This is E. McDermott has been has acquitted himself very, very well to this point, but this speech after this and bullshit, bullshit democracy. I love democracy. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> when was when was anything ever about George Lucas just kind of shoehorned democracy in as a value to the Galactic Republic? Nobody gave a shit about democracy. They should have just the said original freedom. trilogy. Yeah, even sure, freedom. Yeah, that would have been that would have played better. But now it's it's democracy and like okay, like a republic isn't strictly speaking a, a democracy. I mean, I understand there's elected leaders and for some reason we have elected royalty on some planets or not. I don't know. This seems forced to me at this point. What do you guys think? Harry? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I don't too much politics. You're getting away from the simplistic values that everybody can understand i mean i like the line he gives like i love democracy because you know who the guy is every time he says that i chuckle but you don't really need to have these scenes but i get what they were doing is they're giving him supreme powers or something executive powers executive powers so he can kind of go do what he needs to do and reflective of you know wartime with certain presidents and you know politicians and stuff like that so you know george lucas throwing that in so i i get what he was doing but it just kind of felt un-star warsy God, Jar Jar. Like, God, why? Like, I... They <laughs> why, Jar Jar, why? You had one job, Jar Jar, one job! Jump, Jar Jar! Jump, Jar Jar! Now he does tarpoles as well. Um, something. <laughs> George could have saved a lot of money by just hiring you, Harry. Like, who needs Frank Oz and on the desk when he's got you? I agree. They could have just had a scene saying, hey, by the way, we gave the Chancellor ultimate power because we're in war. Rather than having Jar Jar just do this stupid, like, it just, I don't, I don't get it. I really don't know why he wanted to have that sequence. Like, yeah, I know why he threw in democracy, but old by this point. Nathan, any thoughts on that one? It would have been better if he had said, instead of, I love democracy, he should have said, I love representation with taxation. (laughs) (laughs) But again, this movie is just filled with unnecessary scenes. It's still strange as to why, you know, he needs the executive power so he can raise the army, but it's just, it's, ah. But to George's credit, he didn't linger. These scenes are like about two minutes in total. So, I mean, like, we're not staying here long. He's not, we're not. No, we're not staying here long, but it does have a pretty, yeah, it's still impactful. It just, but it adds up. Like when, yeah, I mean, a two minute scene is, I guess in the grand scheme of things, not, not a big deal, but I mean, there's these repeated nonsense scenes of uh like there's this and then there's like with a lot of the mystery stuff it's like okay well going to the library i can't find the stuff there we didn't really talk about this like how obi-wan gets to kamino and then there's the missing records and then he, he talks to the, the, to the younglings yeah. and oh, oh god oh, again this is all oh, oh that name but it's just again it's just all of these little things that add up to just just nonsense yeah, oh, yeah. i agree Ter- uh, yeah. you know, cringeworthy scenes right there with the. I, I've got yeah, that was 
that was so stupid. Like, Obi-Wan already had the answer. He's like, well, gravity's pulling everything in this direction, but there's nothing there. What the fuck? And they're like, yeah. and the kid's like, well, go there. And he's like, <gasps> shit, I never thought of that. Like, yeah, come but, on. But Jeff, the Jedi's, their, their powers are being diminished, as being per diminished. Mace Windu. It's time to reveal <laughs> this point. Our ability to use the Force is... It's diminished. Mm, we can still do badass flips and deflect laser bolts with our lightsabers, but... Can't do anything can't figure else. out simple puzzles. Um, <laughs> we're just no good at all. Yeah, Sorry, basic physics, back. yeah, we can't. That, that's that's not right. really our forte. We still give little children lightsabers to deflect blaster bolts, but basic, yeah, just <laughs> the ability to read a star chart properly is just, I'm sorry, guys, God, can't do it. How about we just talk? What was this, the whole point here? Did it make any sense about the idea of the Jedi, like the diminishing powers of the Jedi? That Again, is that is confusing as hell. Yeah. Why? I think that the like, only reason the why is because like, as the audience members were like, why can't the Jedi see any of what's going on here? And so... I think George at least recognized that as a problem. It was like, okay, well, shit. Uh, okay, they can't use the Force anymore. Or at least... <laughs> Razzle-dazzle, don't look at what my hands are doing. They have fewer midichlorians in their system. That's the problem. Yeah. That must be it. Maybe they're eating processed foods and that's impacting their midichlorians. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It, it just it, George seems to be scrambling, and this is it. Kind of ties into like the thread of it seems like he didn't have this trilogy planned out. He just like wrote as he went, and it just it seems like he's trying to fit plot holes with more plot holes. It needs much more explanation. Like yeah, I'm just yeah. exasperated. He threw point. one plot hole down the other plot hole, and then threw the plot exactly. hole away. Yeah, I remember first watching Attack of the Clones, and I had like a really big pop like a big Coke and I took a bathroom break right where Jar Jar voted the powers to the chancellor did not impact my enjoyment of the rest of the story at all. I don't think that was necessary. So aren't you going to come out clean and say you love this movie? Cause I clearly remember you saying you absolutely think this was the best so far. So we'll that's, me, Mary, that's me, Mary. That's <laughs> me. I, you know what? I wasn't, at this point, Harry was already sort of like the broken down cyborg Darth Vader and, <laughs> and cynical and hated everything. And I was still the more optimistic Anakin Skywalker at this point. So, But who was uh, right? Well, we'll come to our evaluations of this in a little bit here. Let's kind of talk about the third act as a whole here is from, a, from an action set piece here. We have the stadium battle with the three primaries battling the, the strange creatures in the, in the arena. The arrival of Yoda with the clone army and then the and then the greater battle of Geonosis. So Harry, why don't you walk us through how you felt about this entire sequence here? Any high points, low points, if it worked, if it didn't work? Well, I'll start uh, off by saying this. I truly, deeply hate the third act. Okay, I guess you didn't get the joke. It was like the whole the truth. <laughs> no, I got it. Your declaration there was just about as moving as hers. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> I mean I like the fact that they had these creatures there. I'm not really a fan of the design except for the crab and i think the only thing of the crab that i like is when i think obi-wan throws a spear in the crab and yeah. then he pulls it out and kind of just breaks it with his teeth the crab has an agitated look on its face and i like that one shot the rest of the whole battle i i really really hated too much cgi it's all dated now it was not really that interesting after about a minute of it I did like the fact that Padme was, like, as Obi-Wan said, kind of on top of things. Like, she kind of had, you know, show, showing that she can kind of take care of herself a bit before even the Jedi. Are. <laughs> so, they, I guess their powers are diminishing. But when the Jedi come, I hated this whole battle. They were shown to be just terrible, terrible warriors. Um, 
the action scenes were very uninspired. It was kind of very ho-hum, with the exception of Mace Windu saying, this party's over. <laughs> That's the only thing I like about this whole thing. Even when Yoda's arrival with the clones, kind of, eh, kind of ho-hum, and that chase, and Dooku and Yoda, and actually Dooku and Obi-Wan and Anakin, shit. A garbage lightsaber fight, not well filmed at all. I didn't like it, and then Yoda was even worse, the, the hopping around. I don't like any of that stuff with Yoda. He shouldn't have had a lightsaber. That's my opinion. It should have been all Force. And I also didn't like the fact that Count Dooku could use Force Lightning. I mean, I know that's getting into fanboy territory here, but I think that should have been best served for not just the Emperor's, like he could be the only one who's doing it because he's a bit more powerful, but I think it would have reserved the surprise for Return of the Jedi when he unleashes that can of whoop-ass on Luke at the end. And it'd been like, that would have been a little bit more of a terrifying scene for people who watch all of them in a row in sequential order. Having that surprise at the end there would have been kind of unique and different. So I didn't like the use of that kind of stuff here. Uh, I don't know. What about you guys? That's just me. I, I wasn't a fan of the entire third act. I thought it was shit. Uh, Andrew? Hated it. Hated it being I now hate it. And of course, like when I first watched this, I'm sure I came out of the movie theater going, oh my God, that was like the greatest Star Wars ever. I can't wait to watch it multiple times. Yeah, we're all like that when we watched it. But not me. God. Okay. Well, Harry, you're Harry. Um <laughs> That's why we love you. Uh, but watching it now, and especially this movie, I hadn't really watched. Like most of the other movies, I had watched on a semi-regular basis since like the Blu-rays have been released. Like it's the movies are nice to have in the background when I'm working. But I have avoided episode two like the plague. And the third act just doesn't feel right. Doesn't oh god, it the CGI is so terrible. The Jedi are made to be absolute morons. The dialogue is absolutely dreadful. Like where Padme falls out of, she falls out and falls into the sand and then Anakin's screaming for them to go back and get her. And then when they pan back to her and this clone trooper runs up to her, like, are you okay? And then she yeah. just basically like gets up like, yeah, I'm fine. Like, Let's yeah, go. I'm <laughs> yeah. We've got to get to that hangar. I'm like, well, how did you know they were in a hangar and how the hell did you get up so fast? Like, I don't think a single clone trooper was filmed using practical effects. Nope. I. That's correct. Oh, yeah, they were all CG. Terrible. The, only cool moment of the third act was i think a two to three second clip of anakin fighting count dooku and the lights go off and you kind of see the the lightsaber colors the fight between yoda and dooku at first like yoda's pretty kick-ass but then watching it again i'm like i hate the dialogue between the two of them dooku mentioning it's like it's apparent that uh this fight will not be decided through our knowledge of the force but through our skills with lightsabers. I'm like, oh, yeah, I hated it. <laughs> so you're, what you're saying is you're kind of mixed on it, Andrew. So you're not undecided. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm undecided. Right now. We'll come back. We'll come back to you then after that. Okay, Nate, your thoughts on the third act. Yeah, the third act is garbage. Just from start to finish. You know, the other thing no one really brought up was 3PO and R2 oh, uh, yeah. stuff. And then that weird uh, scene... When I was uh, watching in the movie again, the scene where uh, they're in the factory, it really reminded me of like an old Super Empire Strikes Back. It, uh, it's terrible. And then the battle in the arena, 3PO's head on the, what is happening? What is <laughs> happening? This is insane. The cool. puns were too much. You know. Oh, God. Well, I'm quite beside myself. Yes. I've fallen. Oh, I can't boy. get up. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this conversation has sparked me to run and get my bottle of whiskey. But you know, the, uh, the only thing that was kind of cool, and it's only about a three-second shot, is when the Jedi and the droids 
are running at each other. Yeah, that's a that cool shot. That kind of one scene, and it has like kind of a nice music backing it. That's about the only thing in, in the third act that I thought is really cool. But again, that battle, yeah, like so many of those Jedi are cut down, but the choreography is terrible. It's bad. You know, yeah. because it's people, especially like background Jedi, they just are not really doing anything. They're just sort of swinging the lightsaber around, doesn't doesn't look cool. You know, one thing we haven't really talked about at all is Samuel L. Jackson and Mace Windu. I hated, the fact, I, I hated the fact that he was able to cut down Jango Fett so easily. There's a real opportunity there, I think, for like a like an epic battle. And I mean Jango Fett just came across as a like a clown. Especially as he dives for his gun. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it was just not not cool. I mean, I think Samuel L. Jackson, these movies, I don't know. I know he's a fan and stuff, but man, like he is terrible in these movies. He's absolutely atrocious. Worst casting in anything of these movies. I think he's even worse than Hayden Christensen. There, I said it. Yeah, you know what? I think it's a valid argument. And in Attack of the Clones, I think he's the worst. And uh, one of the early scenes, because he's the one who says, uh, you know, our powers of the Force are diminished or whatever the line is. But he has these other lines of dialogue that he delivers with no affectation whatsoever. It's, it's like, a, like just a straight read, a lot of his dialogue. Yeah, yeah he's, he's terrible. And that again, a huge waste, kind of going back to Dooku, where you have potentially a very interesting character and a good actor and not utilized just thrown away that would have been more interesting if christopher lee was uh, mace windu oh sure yeah. yeah that might have been an interesting idea yeah, yeah. and samuel think, jackson uh... as jingle fett <laughs> <laughs> and they're all clothes of samuel L. jackson <laughs> <laughs> oh wow oh wow that would have been a different beast altogether he could have saved the prequels just with that cap oh you're getting the sequel to that the hateful eight or whatever it's called yeah, it's all Samuel Jackson clones. Uh, I'd go see that movie. Um, well, shit, you guys know how much I hate to play devil's advocate. So with much pain and difficulty, uh, I'm going to come out as a fan of the third act in parts. The factory scene is a load of garbage, no doubt about it. But I really enjoyed the stadium fight with the animals. I thought it was fun. Yeah, the introduction of the Jedi, they definitely get cut down a little too easily by this droid army. Samuel L. Jackson definitely had some bothersome moments here or in the in the movie with his delivery, but I I, I don't know I liked it I liked his uh, this party's over line and he uh, you know he does a little he has a his moment to shine a bit but my favorite was when it's all over the Jedi are done and then Yoda flies in with the clones on the on the gunship and they just kill everything in that stadium I I really love that introduction there that was a great shot probably the height of the movie for me that and then the, the battle of geonosis i know it's all cg at this point i love that scene where it's all a big dust cloud and the clone troopers are shooting at the droids there i thought that was really really cool shot you know, just from a visual perspective i thought it i thought it looked great that the tensions with the jedi at this point but i thought it was cool to see the jedi fighting alongside stormtroopers uh, the lightsaber battle definitely leaves a lot to be desired here, unfortunately. You know, that's the failing of the movie. The Yoda battle with Count Dooku isn't very good. Uh, I don't understand your problem with Yoda having a lightsaber. I mean, why would a Jedi walk into a battle unarmed? It's fine. He's got a lightsaber. I'm just saying I didn't like it. I, I, it's fine. Well, you I didn't just, like the battle? You said I just you didn't, didn't like, like I just didn't like the lightsaber fight. It just was kind of uh, you, said, you said you didn't like that he had a lightsaber. 
No, I think he should have just used force powers. That's just me. I my preference, but what are they, the are fighting they itself, like... the fighting itself was still dumb. Like it just him hopping yeah, around the and was... hopping fighting. around, and then okay, so I can use the force and do all this shit, but I got to walk around with a cane. These are kind of things that no, I don't know, that's... man. I don't that's know. his. That's, that's his modesty. Is like I, I, I don't need the force to walk around. I got a cane. I use the no. force when I need to use the force. You know, he's a wise. No. He's a wise guy, and he doesn't. He doesn't need the cane when he goes into battle. But you know, other than that, if he doesn't need to use the force, he's not going to use the force. Yeah, that's okay. Well, yeah, no, it's not okay. You're 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 wrong again. <laughs> we'll have a poll for the three people who will ever listen to this. Uh, okay, so let's wrap up. <laughs> Drop of Attack of the Clones uh, with recommendations and final thoughts. Andrew, why don't you start us off? My recommendation is that the group under Dave Filoni that did the Clone Wars and is currently doing Star Wars Rebels completely redoes this movie. That's the only way that this no, movie no, will you ever can't. become. No, you can't. No, no, you why? got it. You can't take it. I know that now with the purchase of Lucasfilm by Disney, that the Clone Wars cartoon is canon for some reason, but okay. we got to take this on its own. We have to take it on its own. What I was trying to say is like the only way I could ever possibly recommend this movie to anyone is if they completely redo it. Um, no. I don't like this movie. I think it has elements that are just – they are good but aren't explored, which takes away from the general movie. And that's the reason I was bringing up The Clone Wars is that I found The Clone Wars actually a really good series that explored a lot of the elements of Attack of the Clones and of Revenge of the Sith that were plot holes. But mm. in terms of this movie – the CGI is crap. The acting's crap. The dialogue's crap. It. I really need those two and a half hours back, Gary. Like I really want them back. I don't blame. <laughs> For some reason, I don't Terry's blame. Fault. Yes, I'll take the blame. Always I always do. Fault. It's okay, George. I got your back. This is my fault. <laughs> and it, this is a fault. movie that you don't have to watch. Like you can literally skip from episode one to episode three and like, okay, I get this. Like it, it it's just unnecessary in so many ways. I don't, don't like it at all. Okay. Oh, fair enough. I mean, uh, maybe we should do an examination of the clone wars cartoon in a future time. Uh, Harry final thoughts on attack the clones. Yeah. Garbage shit. Terrible. Just like what Andrew said, everything, the aesthetics were wrong. CGI is bland, dated, acting terrible, writing terrible, directing terrible. George, C still my opinion that George catered to the fanboys. I think he had a vision, and then he said, "Okay, you guys didn't like that, so now I'm going to push some tech." I mean, maybe he's—you can see here—all he's caring about is pushing tech. Now, okay, that's a stretch. Maybe he still would have done it, even if everybody loved the Phantom Menace, and he still would have pushed tech. But I think if the Phantom Menace was critically loved. He might have maintained shooting on film and maybe sticking with some practical effects. I think his feelings were hurt. It's quite obvious it was. He still is pretty bitter about the whole experience. So it seems like he, I don't know, I don't know, something happened between the first two movies there. And this feels like a whole different experience. It doesn't feel like a Star Wars movie. A lot of missed opportunities. I also wanted to bring up a point here. I honestly think here that Anakin should have left the Jedi Order at the end of this film. Kind of like what Worf did in the Enterprise. It's like, you know. <laughs> It's like he drops his commission pin on, on the desk in front of Captain Picard and Riker looks up. So you could have had that stare with Mace Windu. It's like he was trying to pull a Will Riker. And yeah, I don't know. I just think Anakin should have left. I think that would have been a more compelling storyline. Like, I think George dropped the ball here. I don't know. I think it would have made more for an interesting Revenge of the Sith. We'll get into it. But as for Attack of the Clones, garbage crap. Do not watch. Skip it. For the love of your life, get away. It's a nightmare. <laughs> 
Harry, that um, <laughs> that storyline suggestion when it comes to Anakin leaving the Jedi Order, that's why I really strongly recommend to our three people who, who listen to this podcast to go out and watch The Clone Wars. I'll go next here. Yeah, this movie's got a lot wrong with it, a lot of problems. Hayden Christensen, I think, shoulders a lot of what, what doesn't work here, along with poorly written dialogue. The love story does not work because they don't have chemistry and the dialogue sucks. The other... I don't know. I mean, history for me uh, is a little kinder for this film. I think that I really liked it when I first saw it. And then over the years, I grew to like it less and less and less to the point where I couldn't even watch it. Watching it for this podcast, though, I don't know. I kind of softened up on it a little bit. Some of the things that I really loved about it the first time I saw it kind of came back and got me kind of back into it a little bit. It's tough. This is a tough one. Not a success, but I think that I think that it's a notch or two above garbage crap, I think was Harry's rating, if that's correct. Uh, is that, was that the terminology? So it's floating garbage crap? It's good enough for Costanza? It's good enough for you? <laughs> that's correct. Yes. Um, Nathan, your, your final thoughts. I loved it. Just kidding. I hate this movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, this, this movie is, man, I, it, again, like with Phantom Menace, I think underneath there is a German of, of an idea that I think can be a workable movie, but it, it would have to be like boiled down to an essence. And this is like, again, like why is, like the prequel movies don't work as well because there's so many things going on. So, I mean, if George could just have focused on just a single idea for each film, then you know he might have made some some good Star Wars films, but yeah, this this movie fails on so many levels. The acting, the dialogue, the entire story makes no sense, and the love story even less so. It's a garbage film. All right, I guess the consensus on Attack of the Clones is enter at your own peril. It's like the Dark Side Cave on Dagobah. Only you will need your weapons to watch this one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, well, let's wrap up the prequel trilogy. Let's get into Revenge of the Sith. Oh, man, where to start here? Let's talk a little bit about how the characters have evolved from Phantom Menace to Attack of the Clones to Revenge of the Sith. Obi-Wan Kenobi is definitely a different guy here. He's more mature. I actually really liked his war mentality. I mean, he's, you know, we're in the battle over Coruscant, as an example. And Obi-Wan's just saying, like, no, we, we, have a, we have a mission, we have an objective, you got to go get it, go get the Chancellor, leave me, I'm, I'm finished. And there was some of that in Attack of the Clones. Uh, how has Obi-Wan evolved? Has his character arc worked for you guys? Nathan, what do you think? I think this is the movie where Uma McGregor really pulls in a great performance. Although I do have to say, like, I, I get kind of confused as to the nature of his character because... You know, you kind of get the impression that Jedis are not really soldiers necessarily. He's a general now. I think it still works, but watching it again, I was a little bit confused trying to think about how his arc, like his arc seemed a bit more natural from episodes one to two. And then here, it's kind of hard to, to describe, but I mean, I feel like there's something kind of missing, like there's some backstory. And I know this does get explored in the Clone Wars cartoon, but there seems to be something missing here in this movie as far as backstory goes. But I, performance-wise, I think this is his strongest. Mm -hmm. Andrew, what do you think? Yeah, he definitely comes into the character by this movie. But I think he's also had Sir Alec Guinness's portrayal of Obi-Wan Kenobi as his like 
final destination. So he basically said, it's like, by the time we get to episode three, I want to be as close to Alec Guinness as possible. And it really shows throughout the duration of this movie. And I, I think absolutely, his, this is definitely his strongest performance as Obi-Wan Kenobi. But Nathan's right in that the jump from episode two to episode three is so vast in terms of the maturity of the character that it requires that backstory and that explanation. But for me, I was able to look past it given the fact that this easily was the strongest performance of the trilogy. Mm, yeah. Uh, Harry, what do you think? Mixed bag with Ewan McGregor. I agree with you guys that he's more mature here. He's more in command as a general, a little bit more weathered character. And as Andrew said, you're getting closer and closer to his kind of interpretation or impersonation of who Alec Guinness was in A New Hope. So you can see these kind of links getting closing and these threads closing. So good job in terms of that. But I think that he really dropped the ball in some key scenes in the second half of the movie, dealing with his awareness that Anakin turned. I mean, I do like the scene that we all saw in the trailer and in the movie, you know, he was screaming, you know, you were the chosen one and stuff. That was a good scene there, but I think he dropped the ball in a lot of other scenes there. It just didn't work. So I like you and McGregor. It's hard for me to say, but I don't think he did as good of a job as he needed to do to sell this movie. Um, I was very, I was disappointed in some aspects here. I think I agree with you there, Harry, as well. I mean, he drops the ball in some scenes. I think, again, some of the scenes that are not written all that well, he struggles with. And, and I think he does well in some of the other scenes where, you know, it doesn't matter so much what the lines were. I, I liked his maturity here. I thought this is the character that Obi-Wan was supposed to be, I think. And uh, it's nice to see him finally show up. But speaking of performances and, well, I guess we've talked about casting. Everybody's in their in their roles. But let's talk about performances. Hayden Christensen, Samuel L. Jackson, and Natalie Portman. Holy shit, Natalie Portman in this movie. <laughs> yeah. How could she be anything less than angry? That, like she was just relegated to this housewife character that does yeah. nothing. I'm yes, wondering, yeah. though, that because she had... She, I don't know if she got the Margot Kidder treatment here because she had a lot of verbal public negative comments about the previous two movies. I'm wondering if that had an impact on George's arc for her. Oh, maybe. Maybe, maybe, yeah. maybe not. She criticized the previous two movies quite heavily. Yeah, could be for sure. And I you know, can't say that she's wrong. I mean, her criticisms were probably very valid. And really, she's got nothing to do here other than be pregnant and cry. That's really unfortunate because she's she's been pretty badass, at least in Attack of the Clones. She she was, as we said, she was on top of stuff. George may as well have just had her barefoot as well. I mean, it was such an insulting <laughs> turn for the character. Just keep bringing Anakin food at home barefoot. Oh, yeah. man. How about Hayden Christensen? Any improvements here for Anakin Skywalker? I think he definitely got better from the last one. Uh, although it's very easy to get better from the previous performance, but there are certainly elements uh, and times throughout the movie where you could see that he had some decent level of acting skills. But then there are other times where he reverted to the way that he was in episode two. I also just found his turn as Vader and how he came off in those interactions between him and Obi-Wan. He just didn't have that edge to him. Like Obi-Wan, you could feel the emotion from Ewan McGregor when he was screaming at him saying that you were the chosen one. And when he screams, like, I hate you after it just, it's still just so bad. Like I have to give credit that there was an improvement. It's still so terrible. Yeah. Overall, I think we can all agree. Doesn't hit it. Where does he go right though? He's got to have one or two scenes where it does work. 
definitely the conflict. I think before he turned, like you could see that inner turmoil in him, like not knowing what to do. And when he was talking to, to Palpatine in regards to, to learning about how to save people from dying, like he definitely showed it there. I was just really disappointed that as Vader, he didn't come off as evil as I would have liked him to be. Those are the ones yeah. that highlighted for me. Okay. Uh, Harry, what do you think? Yeah, there's a small improvement here in terms of his acting between the last movie and this movie for sure. Most of the problems here are not his fault. It's the story's fault, the way the character was written and where the story was going. The turn is just too fast. We'll get into that later. I'd really, I think that should be our main discussion topic here of this movie, um, whether it worked or it didn't. But one of the problems I have here is it's a term I'm just going to bring up here. It's called Vaderisms. I just wrote it down. I feel that there, it's hard for me to believe that, uh, it's, forget the turn itself, that the, the way Hayden Christensen's performance of Anakin is, is completely different than how Vader himself in the suit acts and talks, like connotation mm-hmm. of his words, the way his body movement is. I think George, it's a fault of George mainly, and it's a fault of Hayden Christensen, in my opinion, to not bridge that together. You know how Vader's stance is, the way he walks. You remember like in a lot of the scenes in the original trilogy, the way his hands grasp his belt or something like that. It's awesome. Credit to David Prowse for acting that way and bringing that to the table. You talked about how we are bridging Ewan McGregor to Alec Guinness. I didn't get any of that bridging of Anakin to Darth Vader. That's my Mm -hmm. main problem in terms of the acting. Story is a different thing. And and I think is just in terms of the dramatic turn, I didn't like a lot of his line delivery at the end when he gets angry at Padme and Obi-Wan and, you know, I hate you and all these things. You know, I believe the Jedi are evil. These are all failures of the story, but he didn't sell it. But it was yeah. an improvement from the last time. So we'll go maybe briefly to Nathan and then we'll segue into the main talking point, perhaps. So Nathan, you want to just maybe give your quick thoughts on Hayden Christensen here? Yeah, I think the performance and even just the character itself, this is what should have been in episode two. That should have been our starting point for Anakin, I feel like. I think there was some real improvement. I liked some of the scenes early on, on the him and Obi-Wan on the ship, at the beginning when they're uh, rescuing um, Palpatine, you know, like the fake rescue, a few other scenes with Samuel L. Jackson. Some of his dialogue with Mace Windu, I thought was kind of okay. But yeah, again, just as Harry said, There is no bridging between this character and Vader. It doesn't happen. And that is not entirely his fault. I mean, but it's crazy that they weren't thinking of it at this point, that they would have to bridge it. But yeah, he just doesn't have that same physical presence that David Prowse has, which is unfortunate. Yeah, they tried to beef him up, obviously, a little bit here, but David Prowse is a pretty large human being, so that's hard to do. Why yeah, don't... Let that go, as long as he kind yeah. of had some of that same body language. And that was so important to the character, yeah, as the body language for Vader, because obviously, you know, being behind a mask and a heavy costume like that, body language was so important to that performance. Yeah, that's a missing piece. Harry, why don't you kick us off then on the core here which is the turn of anakin skywalker uh man there's a lot to dig into here but i know you've got your thoughts so why don't you get us started yeah um the main issue i have with this movie it's and it's why in my opinion the sequel trilogy fails because the whole point was to show him turning and to make it believable you know i get why he turns he had an issue with not being able to save his mom and he wanted to be powerful enough and that impacted her we can't believe we missed that talking point on attack of the clones as well but yeah, here he just wants to save Padme. And, and I get the tragic 
uh, twist that George has is he was kind of the cause of her death. So his obsessiveness and his greed and his lust for power kind of helped make those events that he was envisioning or having visions of come true. So I, I get this, what George was trying to do here. It's kind of that classic Shakespearean tragic story that he was trying to put here, kind of like a Romeo and Juliet kind of thing here. But it didn't work and his turn wasn't believable and it should have been about something else because in my opinion again to going back to who Darth Vader was in the original trilogy he's a completely different character he doesn't care about this crap Darth Vader it's this is where we talked about who Dooku was I think this is who Anakin should have been he didn't have faith in the Republic okay but I think he shouldn't have had faith in the whole system and he saw the Jedi as part of the problem and that's why I say he should have left the order in the end of the last one, then he then he married Padme. That's fine. He's gone. And I guess him and Obi-Wan cross paths or him and the Jedi cross paths in this one. And again, leads to more conflict. And he should have believed that the Jedi are part of the problem of society. And, and he should have gone against them for those reasons because he felt he would bring order and justice better with by joining the dark side and joining Palpatine. We didn't get any of that here. It's just about him turning. And what's even worse is the fact that Palpatine says he doesn't even have a solution to preventing yeah. Padme from dying. I don't know how to do it, but together I'm sure we can solve it. But in the meantime, please go kill these Jedi for me. <laughs> okay. And then we'll work on it after. Just do me do me a solid. Just go over there, kill these fuckers, and uh, come back and we'll have another discussion. Uh, I got you, buddy. Major problems here. Did not work at all. And I'll leave it at that. I could go. I could do a rant for like five hours, but... I'll let you guys go for it. All right. Andrew, how about you follow? I don't know how you're going to follow that, buddy, but it's on you now. I'll quote Nathan. It's like, I love the turn. I thought it was really well done. No, um, <laughs> I, I wouldn't do that to Harry because I don't want Harry to have an answer. Uh, it, it was very quick. And as Harry mentioned, it was very unbelievable. I think that should have been the major focus for this movie. And the time frame from when Anakin found out that Palpatine was Darsidious to when he made the turn was very quick and very poorly done. Like I thought the, the fight between Windu and the rest of the, the council against Sidious was dreadful. Like I thought that was unbelievably poor, especially how he killed those three jet. It was like one of the worst sequences in the prequels and Anakin's turn. It just doesn't have that oomph to it. It's kind of like naming Kirk, the captain of the enterprise all of a sudden after saving the world once it just, it, it was done out of convenience without the necessary uh, exploration of it. And uh, I like this movie, don't get me wrong, but I think this part of it really makes it weak in that uh, the weakest aspect being that his turn is just so quick and so unbelievable that it diminishes what the impact of this movie should have been. It felt like they were, you know, trying to build things up that he would turn because he's obviously frustrated with the Jedi Council. They They insult him by not appointing or giving him the rank of master while getting appointed to the council. But that's all some bullshit. Jedi politics uh, doesn't have a lot of emotional resonance for us. Uh, some of the seeds have been planted, but I agree with Harry's point that it would have been much more interesting if he had left the order at the end of episode two and became more of the Count Dooku type of, or that, that type of thinking. Like the, the Senate's corrupt, the Republic is broken, this is the only way to fix it. Yeah, the I, Jedi aren't doing anything. Yeah, exactly. Like, the Jedi aren't doing anything. And I and I will. I will do something. Yeah. And, and that would have been... And then the Jedi, it's such a simple concept. And the Jedi start going against him saying, no, you can't do this. It's wrong. And then he sides with Palpatine and then boom, they just fight. Done. Yeah. It's yeah. over. It's perfect. Exactly. It's simple. And that would have taken a lot less effort than the convoluted bullshit 
that actually does happen here. I mean, oh my God. Yeah, Harry, you're right. He's like, I got the power. I can help you save your wife and just save me from these murderous Jedi. Oh, thank you. Okay, now pledge your, yeah. Actually, the thing I said before, no, I, I was sort of fibbing a little bit, but don't worry, we'll figure it out. Yeah, that was almost comical there. I, I, it's almost like I'm supposed to laugh at that. It, it's so ridiculous. Because it makes him stupid. Now, Darth yeah, Vader is, is now the dumbest motherfucker. So you're dumbing down Darth Vader, and I hate that. He tricks him, but yeah, you're right. He fall, But then he, he, he sticks with it. He's like, well, what he should have done is like, well, wait a second. You, you just said that you could do this thing, and you can't do that thing. We're, yeah, like, we're, we're going. We're going to the big house now. What I did like is that, you know, like Anakin reports back to the council. He's like, I, I found out that Palpatine's a Sith Lord. They go there to arrest him. And Anakin's like trying to preserve justice. He's like, you can't kill him. Like he has to stand trial. Like that's, that's our way. And Mace Windu's like, nope, I'm judge, jury, and executioner. At this moment, I'm taking care of this. And Anakin's like, no, that's not what we do. And he stops him. I like that. Like he's trying to uphold justice at that moment. But then... It totally unravels. Yeah. Like, uh, I don't have that, a problem with him yeah. taking out Mace Windu. I don't even have a problem if he, after that, he just marched on just the Jedi Order. But then he goes out and kills other Jedi too. And then he says, from my point of view, the Jedi are evil at the end. All of this stuff doesn't yeah. make sense. And that's such a terrible line. It's like, well, yeah, and we've talked about this before. From my point of view, the Jedi are evil. Like, well, what's... They're stupid. They're not evil. Yeah. You know, they're stupid. They don't act, but they're not, yeah, they're not evil. Now... Maybe that brings up another interesting point that that's a part of this conversation is what kind of autonomy do the Jedi have? I mean, they say their allegiance is to the Senate, you know, according to Obi-Wan, but they pretty much do whatever the fuck they want, don't they? I mean, they decide that they're going to be the ones to overthrow the Chancellor and to take control in the transition period here. They lend the support when they feel like they need to, but when do they take direction from anybody like well, my understanding is, is they still align themselves with what the Senate wants, but it's wartime, so they're taking control of the military. We've talked a lot about democracy. Who's well, given the Jedi Okay, this but this, this is, well, isn't it the Chancellor? Isn't it Palpatine who's the Chancellor? They don't want to follow his orders anymore. So, they I also mean, sort of seem to resist level, being told what to do, it seems like, and the, like especially in the other movies. I got to go back to that bar scene. No one batted an eye when a Jedi cut someone's hand off. So it almost seems as though no one wants to mess with them. And I mean, I was joking, but it does sort of point to this idea that they are a completely autonomous organization that takes no direction from anyone. Because they also resist the idea of Palpatine putting Anakin on the council as his representative. And they say, well, Palpatine is trying to meddle with Jedi affairs. Does that not say that that they don't really answer to anyone? It feels to me like they don't answer to anyone but themselves. That's what it feels like to me. I kind of I get that feeling as well. In the context of the story, that's actually that helps with Anakin's term. It does. It's not there, but you know, like there's precedent. I think part of what George has said publicly as well is the idea of a society collapsing, like he's saying, like how the Roman society fell. This was his basis. So he's using some of these concepts here. I just don't think it worked. The one thing I found very confusing was that the portrayal of the Jedi through the entire prequel trilogy, they are not very sympathetic. I mean, they do come across as jerks so that when they are destroyed, you know, I'm suddenly confused. Am I supposed to feel bad about this? 
you know, everyone loves Vader, but you understand him to be the bad guy. So when he destroys, so when Anakin destroys the Jedi Order, I'm not exactly sure what I'm supposed to be feeling. My initial reaction usually is, well, they kind of got what they deserved. I felt the same way about the Jedi Order. It feels like they kind of get what's coming to them. But I don't know that that's what I was supposed to feel. I mean, I, I'm conflicted. I, well, and so that's I, the thing that's really weird about these movies is, I mean, if they are like, are they the good guys or not? So after Anakin's hairpin turn, like, what are you supposed to feel here? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's the lack of development in the first couple of movies where they don't show enough of the Jedi to develop this appreciation for the Jedi order. And God, I keep bringing up the Clone Wars, yeah. but like that's where movies like this need to be designed such that you don't need any type of intermediate explanation. Like it shouldn't require that in order for you to have that emotional impact by an event like this. And here it's like, yeah. okay, the Jedi are gone. Hooray. Just don't have that emotional bond to them. They just fucking dilly dally through the first two movies and didn't get far enough along in the story. So when we get to episode three, he's got to pack all this stuff into one movie and we don't the stuff that really needed to get explored doesn't. And we get exploration of shit that we could have done without, you know? Yeah. We could have done without some of the politicking, some of the taxation of trade routes, cloning of some random bounty hunter. I mean, we really could have done with less of that and more of the shit that's going on here. Because there's some interesting stuff that is like on the surface. It's just not paid the, you know, the time or, or respect that it, it deserves. Like, imagine had Qui-Gon survived and, and Anakin cuts down Qui-Gon, like, episode three. Like, not saying that's what should have happened, but that type of emotional attachment to someone who dies in those sequences, like, yeah. the only two that, that were really... Yeah. yeah, the only two that were attached to are Yoda and Obi-Wan, and they survive it. Yeah. They need to have that type of dramatic turn, because with Mace Windu being the lovable character that we all enjoy to see on screen, like, when he <laughs> got killed, everyone's like, okay, that's cool. Uh, it wasn't like what just happened moment that I think that's what George really wanted to have. Oh, I yeah. really wanted to have Boba Fett come back and disintegrate Mace Windu to have a nice tie into <laughs> oh, Empire. Oh, that would have been awesome. But yeah, I mean, again, Mace Windu, not uh, when he's killed. Again, this it's very strange that this happens. There's no emotion there. I didn't care that he was killed. And Anakin's anguish over it. Don't feel any, anything for him. Yeah, unfortunate. Let's talk about, you know, we're, we're talking about the turn. We're talking about Anakin. Let's bring around the arc of the prophecy. I'm still lost with the prophecy of the one who will bring balance to the Force. I don't know what that means. Obi-Wan seems to think that, that uh, he, he didn't fulfill the prophecy because he left the Force in darkness. Still don't really know what this prophecy is. Andrew, help me understand the prophecy of the one who will bring balance to the Force, please. Well, by the end of it, he does bring balance to the Force and that you've got the Emperor and Vader, and then you have Yoda and Obi-Wan as the only people who, well, not by the end of this movie, it takes a little bit of time. But at the end of the day, like those are the only Force users in the galaxy that we know of. So it makes sense like in that there is balance at the end of this movie, but it doesn't allow for any sense of like, the original statement to be brought to light, saying it's like, well how is it imbalanced beforehand? So like, wouldn't the Jedi have been able to pick up the fact that there are way too many good guys and not enough bad guys? And so this kid came along and killed all the good guys. So now there's only like two and two, like yeah. the Jedi are stupid. Well, they certainly come off as stupid here, don't they? Exactly. And so that's where I think at the end, yes, the prophecy made sense, but in such a negative way that as Harry mentioned, like they're stupid. Like that's what this prophecy was all about. 
I, I uh, obviously was cool, but it, through execution, it was terrible. Yeah, and just going back, as I mentioned before, uh, the Phantom Menace part is this is maybe the force's way, nature's way of saying I need to bring balance and find equilibrium because the Jedi were running around for a thousand years, and and Yoda was saying, you know, they're overconfident. Uh, you know, we see them as cocky. We see them as, you know, stupid and blind and too set in their ways. So these are some thread points that Lucas was throwing in. Is this his way of saying, you know, the Jedi are kind of like a virus and I have something here to kind of get rid of it. And that was Anakin. And, and then he had a dual role and then he got rid of the Sith as well after their reign of terror, even though he became part of it. But they also kind of throw the bone that, oh, it was a prophecy misread. They mentioned that here in this movie. Some theories out there saying, oh, so Luke was the real one? When you talk about Lucas starting to say, I'm throwing in this prophecy, of course, now it's definitely meaning Anakin. But some people could say then it was Luke who brought balance to the Force. So we'll see. I don't know. There's no self-reflection by any of the characters over what the prophecy truly means. I mean, I do know that, yeah, there was the uh, one point I mentioned of, are we interpreting the prophecy correctly? But by the end of the movie, it just goes to the wayside. Obi-Wan has the one line. I think he says you were supposed to bring balance to the force. No, he says you're supposed destroy. to destroy, you said you're supposed to destroy the Sith, not join them. Ah, uh, okay, that's that was the line. Yeah, Harry, I mean, the Jedi are stupid, stupid idiots who... It cannot like see past past their own arrogance. And again, I think this is just a, like a, a problem. The writing, no reflection by any of the characters after all the events go down. Like, oh, okay, now I see what's going on. I don't know about you guys, but I'm going to need to know what Luke's midi chlorian count is before I can understand. What... <laughs> <laughs> but I think if he's the chosen act... one or not, I mean. Uh... Yeah. It's interesting you bring up Luke now because I, I want to kind of segue and I know we're going to be talking about the movie next week, but I think we may be getting some explanation about what we're talking about in the next movie. Given what I've seen in the trailer, what everyone's seen in the trailers, I'm hopeful that they give some explanation to this prophecy because everyone's well, seen the trailer, yeah, right? That's a interesting theory, actually, yeah. In the trailer, you've got one of the characters, like basically Han Solo is like saying that the Jedi were real, like everything you've heard about happened. So like quite obviously the Jedi have kind of gone to the wayside. They haven't, there hasn't been a reformation of the Jedi council, like what happened in the expanded universe. So I think there may be some exploration of these subjects that we're talking about, which could change the conversation we have after we watch the movie this week. I'm pretty sure Abrams and Kasdan are not going down to uh, touch anything about the trilogy, but that's another discussion. I think that you're right about that here. I think they said, I think somebody asked them a question in an interview and they're just like, no, we're not, we're not talking about, I think it was specifically about midi-chlorians, but I got the impression that they're not going that back to the prequels for any source at all here. But uh, we'll find out in a few short days, which, which is pretty cool. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, you know what? I, I, I actually had a, you know, we're talking about, you know, morality and the good versus evil. I had a question about R2-D2. Is he still, he's still hanging around Anakin Skywalker. Like, does he know about, what's his take on morality and loyalty, this droid? That's he, an interesting question, yeah. Yeah, he's observed everything. He's seen everything. And he um, didn't have his memory wiped, right? It was just C-3PO memory wiped. Exactly. I think both 3PO and R2 were there on Mustafar. That was the planet, I think, name, where yep. Obi-Wan and Anakin were fighting, and Anakin's, you know, slightly hurting Padme with the Force Choke and all that stuff. I think it would have been interesting to see a reaction out of them to these events. Mm. Like, maybe mm -hmm. even R2 getting upset 
maybe that's kind of being over dramatic, but maybe they could have at least gone and they could have shown them help Padme get to the ship or I don't know, do something. I think that would have mm-hmm. been a bit more interesting because yeah, right now it's a bit ambiguous. Like R two's okay with what's going on with Anakin Skywalker, and I don't think George he drags really... her back into the ship like C three PO and Attack of the Clones. Yeah, yeah, he just kind of like suction cup to you know where, and uh, that's how Luke and Leia come out. <laughs> oh my god, I can't. <laughs> Could be um, that R two is just a sociopath, actually. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I'm cool with this. <laughs> Probably a likely actually... explanation. It is interesting though, isn't it? I mean, R two is cast in sort of a hero mold in all of these films there he saves the day or helps save the day in many scenes in in these films here but his his loyalty to this point is with is with anakin skywalker and you know it turns to be a, a bad dude i'm i don't know i just think it's interesting i mean that you know the droids are still treated as second class citizens as slaves basically i don't know i mean does r2 have any affinity with anakin because he's a slave as well I mean, while these are interesting questions, Jeff, I think that that wasn't Lucas's intention at all to analyze any of these plot points or character motivations or developments. Nothing's there. It's just not there. All right. Well, I guess that wraps up the R2 question there. Um, <laughs> That's my opinion. I don't know. You guys can, you guys, I don't think there's anything there. Well, I, I'm, but I'm, I'm also, I'm also past the point where I give a shit about what George wanted because all I have to work with is what I see on screen. So what George Lucas intended or didn't intend I mean, it's irrelevant to me at this point. I mean, I, I can only care about... Well, I think R2-D2 and C-3PO were definitely irrelevant in this movie. Y- yeah, they, so, they definitely took a back seat here. So, I mean, they were just there. They were just window dressing. Yeah, R2 it. had a big big role to play in the beginning of it. Um, uh, yeah. During the, the opening sequence. And, and, I think, and it was terrible, but it's okay. I just don't know why they didn't wipe R2's memory. That was one plot hole. I'm like, what? Really? You do the protocol droid, but you don't do the astromech who knows everything that just happened? Yeah, and, and why is that? No clue. Well, I thought that was intentional to sort of show that R2 is an observer of events. Although it does put a lot of responsibility on him. It's like, well, does, now does he, does he have a moral responsibility to tell people what he knows? And I always thought, I mean, I think it's played for a laugh to wipe uh, 3PO at the end. But the fact that they don't mention R2, I, I think that was intentional. I know George's intention was to have the droids in every movie. I personally don't like their involvement in in, in the prequelogy. I, I oh, think ag- it would have been agree. more agree. more interesting if they're just thrown into the middle of the action in A New Hope the way it was, and they had and they were just associated with that story, and that's it. What was the deal with Palpatine naming Darth Vader? Like, it's like I now christen you Darth uh, Vader. You know, oh, he takes a real beat, like he can't think of it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I <was> like, uh, <laughs> but so, I heard that like they had actually promised like I think it was Rick McCallum had promised that there was going to be some type of explanation as to why Darth Vader is named Darth Vader and that never yeah. happened. In the, movie. the reason why it's called Darth Vader is because Palpy said so. <laughs> that, that was the explanation. Yeah, like what letter are we on? It's like oh, yeah, exactly. We got Darth, you, we got Tyrannus. We got a Malt. We got a. I don't know. So, so a couple of things I wanted to tie up. Couple, so two things. First is Jar Jar Binks is not present in Revenge of the Sith, save for one scene where he is at his best, where he is seen and not heard. Um, <laughs> you guys are too hard on the guy. Yeah. Well, I think I think he's too hard on us. Actually, <laughs> let me step in here. No, nope, I, I have always, I've always had. I like everybody else. When I first saw Phantom Menace, you know the knee jerk reaction to hate Jar Jar, hate Jar Jar, and then you know. Less and less, the anger subsided, the hatred subsided. So, you know, 
I liked him a bit more. There are a couple of legitimate funny scenes that I chuckle at with Jar Jar in The Phantom Menace. Obviously, in Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith, he's got nothing to do. The question I have here is, was his arc affected? And if so, obviously it was, but what do you think that arc would have been? Would it have been anything else? Do you think he would have had any larger role to play if the backlash wasn't so severe? I was always hoping that he would have maybe developed an arc of someone who was kind of cowardly and clumsy. I'm not saying he'd be this action hero and stuff like that. I'm just saying it'd be interesting if he if he was involved in the main events in something a little bit more interesting. And I think that would have it, it would have fleshed out the character in a lot better ways, and it would have made him it would have made the movies better in my opinion. I'm sure I'm the only one who thinks that way, but I think he originally was supposed to be a pivotal character. If you watch that documentary, the beginning, you hear George talk about Jar Jar. It's like, oh, this is this is going to be this is the key piece because we've never had a character like this before, and the backlash was so severe that I think George Lucas can be a, a little tone deaf when it comes to the fan base. But I think that was one where he could not justify having the character uh, in a bigger role. I had actually read, I, I have not seen this confirmed, but at some point, Jar Jar was supposed to be like a villain, or it turned out to be a villain at some point. Which Jar Jar, yes. I, I cannot wrap my head around how, how he would have transitioned from the character in Phantom Menace to this. Yeah, Darth Jar Jar, yeah, that would have been great. Um, <laughs> oh, he was Plagueis, yeah. yeah. But I think, I, I know for me, I think my bigger problem with the Jar Jar character was that he did not really serve any function other than to be a goofy slapstick comedy relief. And, and he's just there. He's just there doing his shtick. I could buy if he was going to be like a cowardly type character. Yeah, okay, I think that's an interesting idea. But again, he serves no function. Obviously, he didn't serve any function in the, these last two movies, really. Um, I'm just saying, like, the backlash wasn't severe. Maybe he would have done something a little bit better. Maybe he would have saved somebody, sacrificed his life. I don't know. I think there were some possibilities here that would have been interesting. But the problem is, is he's too goofy of a character to make it work, to take it seriously. So I always wonder what would have happened. I always fantasized he would have sacrificed his life to save maybe Padme or to give birth or who, who the fuck knows. I don't know. Missed opportunity, but yeah, he's too goofy for a story like this. Yeah. Jar, Jar Jar Binks. I'm just shaking my head. Like I, <laughs> after watching the Phantom Menace, like it's cause he was thrown in for the kids. Like really, I don't know if George thought that he would be this amazing character. Cause throughout the duration of the Phantom Menace, he's just a bumbling idiot. And one of the scenes that we didn't talk about in the Phantom Menace is the battle between the droids and the Gungans. And every single sequence that Jar Jar was a part of, like a, they made him a general for whatever reason. And then yeah. every single sequence he was a part of, he was just an absolute idiot. Not, and so, not general. Bombad general. Bombad general. I'm <laughs> sorry. That's one level above. Four-star general? No, you're going to be a five-star bombad. Yeah, uh, titles, you know, the Star Wars universe, <laughs> titles just get thrown out. You're elected queen. You know, if you're a gambler and smuggler, they make you a general. I mean, come on. It, it, so the sky's the limit. I know. I'm, sorry. <laughs> I'm being too hard on Jar Jar. <laughs> But I think his appearance really should have been limited to episode one. And so I don't see him having a role in two or three just because the tone is different. So yeah. in the first one, yeah, like they're trying to get kids in for merchandise and whatever. But two and three, we shouldn't see Jar Jar at all. Besides maybe his head floating in space like the <laughs> opening sequence of episode three to get everyone clapping. Oh, but Misa, all sparkly, Chloe. 
I would love it if beginning sequence of episode seven is Kylo Ren visiting Jar Jar and just lopping off his head. Saying, no, 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 no. Then... He's got him frozen in carbonite behind him. <laughs> oh, I like that. I like that. He breaks the fourth wall at the beginning of the movie. Like, you guys happy now? And then that's when the movie starts. Missed opportunity. But yeah, I think this movie is too dark and serious for, for Jar Jar to have worked anyways in any capability. Another thread I want to kind of close off here, guys, before we try to wrap up Revenge of the Sith is the arc of the many villains that we get here. Darth Maul, Count Dooku, General... Oh, we haven't talked about Grievous. Yeah, General Grievous, yeah. Well, let's talk about Grievous, and let's talk about the arc of the villains. Did it serve this trilogy to have three flunkies, or would it have been better to have either Darth Maul or whoever that character would have been to take over the arc of these three movies? Harry, why don't you get us going? It's hard for me to answer. I think the right answer would have been Darth Maul survive episode one. You know, Obi-Wan could have defeated him, lopped off an arm or something like that, or leg, and, and he comes back and he's there and then finally anakin defeats him because then you give obi-wan his passes his trials in phantom menace by defeating dark maul there and anakin then doing that and he was just a cool character that you don't have to worry about flunkies but just because you had three different kind of semi-bad guys here under Palpatine in each movie doesn't mean it wouldn't have worked i already talked about that dooku didn't work for those reasons we've already talked about Grievous here didn't work because he was even worse. The concept of Grievous, I I understand where George Lucas was going is like the villains are becoming more machine and more machine and more machine that's leading to Vader. So I get the visual interpretation and the thread he's going with here. The character just didn't work. He was cool for two seconds, but he was a goofy character as well. I don't even understand if he's he's just really a heart and a brain. Why the fuck is he coughing? I I don't get it. Where's this cough coming from? But I don't know. Oh, it's heart, brain, and lungs. Oh, he had lungs? Okay, he had I, lungs. I, I, don't, I don't know if he had lungs or not. I'm just trying. Okay. Yeah, anyways, still sad. doesn't make a, much, a lot of sense. So anyways, it was a poorly conceived idea. Didn't work. I think you could have had better villains here to serve as your flunkies. It would have made it a bit more interesting. But the right answer is probably Maul survives and gets taken out by Anakin himself. Yeah. Andrew? I hated the three villains. The three villains themselves, on their own, there's not enough export. Like, there's no attachment to these villains. There's no sympathy for these villains. There's no hatred. They show up randomly and don't have any real backstory that's explained on screen. And so you don't have an emotional investment with them. When I was thinking about, like, if Maul survived, right? Like, you got this guy that killed Qui-Gon. We all hate him because he killed Qui-Gon. Shows up in episode two, kills off a bunch more Jedi. Maybe someone like Mace Windu that we care about. You're like, damn, this guy's a real badass. Shows up in episode three, and he's about to take out the Emperor, and Anakin's like, hey, wait a minute, this guy can like save Padme, and then takes out Maul and takes his place. Like, There's more of a buildup. Like, that's what made the original trilogy so memorable, too. Like, One of the many yep. is like, Vader was there from the get-go. Like, Vader was the bad guy that we wanted Luke to beat. Would have got his ass handed to him severely in, in A New Hope. Got his ass handed to him in episode five, and then finally beat him in Return of the Jedi. There wasn't that emotional attack. It just felt like another way to sell toys. Yes, there's more exploration of these characters in expanded universe, such as like the novels and the TV show, which makes a little bit more sense. But for a movie trilogy, no, it didn't work at all. To give credit where credit is due, George was trying to do something different. You know, the whole point is, is Vader is so iconic. If you just carry, you know, trying to create another Vader to last the whole trilogy, it may not work. So he decided to go in a different direction. So I appreciate that. And I think he succeeded with Darth Maul. I just think the choices 
the design choices and the caricatures that he decided to go with in episode two and episode three just not worthy enough for the Star Wars universe. That's just me. Yeah, well, with both episode two and three, right? Like, Dooku's not seen that much. Grievous isn't seen that much in episode three. And you don't know how much of a badass he is, which when he dies, you're like, oh, look, they killed their robotic thing. Right. Like, yeah. there, you don't know yeah. Grievous's involvement. And so, Harry, like, I, I do agree that it's it's good to try something different. You just have to do it right. Yeah, and I it, agree. It wasn't done with this character. Yep, I agree. I kind of agree with all the sentiments here that the villains, they, they have no real weight to him, no gravitas. Grievous especially, and I think it shows a real difference between the prequel trilogy and the original trilogy. When you have Vader show up for the first time, there is a certain weight to his presence. When we see Grievous for the first time, it's, uh, I don't care. And yeah, he's kind of throwaway. Uh, it's just real confusing. And they're, they're trying to almost like give him backstory without exposition. You know, he's got the cough and stuff, but yeah, it just doesn't work. And yeah, when Obi-Wan defeats him, it may as well have just been any number of villains that they could have thrown in it. Yeah, I, I almost wish that they did keep Maul around for the trilogy as a real threat. Dooku, the character of Dooku, we've already talked about it, but it's real confusing what he's doing there. Grievous serves no function. Maul was really the most compelling out of it and the most the bigger threat i do know some of the expanded stuff around grievous and i think it could be interesting but you don't have time for that in a movie so why even introduce them yeah probably not a successful introduction there for another flunky we're kind of coming to the end of the of the star wars saga at least to that point uh to to put a nothing bad guy into the film at this point i think is a big big mistake it's an interesting concept but just out of place here. So, well, gentlemen, I think we are about an hour past our original pledge of three hours for this discussion. Oh, so we're not done yet, man. There's still more here. <laughs> I want to get into Padme dying. Oh, what, yeah, we got to talk about this. What is yeah. this? You've got a role model for young women here in Padme from the first two movies. She's a woman of authority. She can take care of herself. She just gives up on these kids yeah. and dies. That's my interpretation. She'd lost the will to live, even though she gave fucking birth to twins. Seriously. She has to die, I agree. Or does she have to die? I mean, that's a conversation we have to have, because Leia mentioned something about a mom. Now we know it's her adoptive mom she's probably talking about, so yeah, that's the way Lucas got out of it. What are your thoughts here? I think it's a shit concept here. Oh, terrible. Yeah, to use your terminology, Harry, this is, this is bullshit garbage at yeah. this point. Oh, she's lost the will to live. Okay, she's lost the will to live. So I guess that means automatically a healthy young woman dies. She gives, she has enough energy to like give birth, to name them, and to tell Obi Wan like take care of them or or some shit. But you know what? I'm but I'm out. I'm done. I'm I'm spent. So see ya. Uh. <laughs> I mean, it's as it's as funny as that. That yeah, this man. Yeah. this is terrible writing. And yeah. again, and I'm, it is I, insulting in a it's way. Insulting it's insulting to almost, women. Oh my god! As, like, as opposed, like, and not not including what they did to the character for the entirety of this movie, but in a way, it's almost saying, "Well, you know, she doesn't have a man anymore, so she may as well yeah. just die. She's got nothing going for her then, yeah. right?" And that is—I don't know if that's directly the message, but man, it is crazy what they did to this character for this movie. And that's why I'm wondering her negativity and criticism. I'm wondering if George just threw her under the bus. I don't know that he would let that get in the way of the story that he wanted to tell, though. Like if he yeah, had probably. something else to do with her here, I think he would have done it no matter what she would have said. I just feel like he didn't 
He didn't have any other plans. So then my question I have for you is, yeah, he didn't have any other plans, but do you think it would have served the story and it would have been logical if she lived, went to Alderaan under the guise of being related to Bail Organa or whatever in any concept, and she's there raising Leia, and then we hear from Leia in Return of the Jedi, she just died of natural causes. She was sad, she was depressed. Do you think that would have served it better, or do you think her dying here... Would I think have been better. that would have served it better, but then you got to address other questions like, you know, that she has to agree to split up her kids. Why does she choose to go with Leia instead of Luke? Could have been a lot of things. I think what would have served the story better is if, you know, she had given birth earlier in the movie apart from Anakin. So, I mean, he doesn't know that he has twins and then she, and then she dies uh, yeah. at some point later in, in battle or in, you know, they're trying to find the children and, and yeah. she is killed or something like that to give her some, a more noble ending than <sighs> I want to add here that I know you don't want to play fanboy and we're all fanboys and what if scenarios, but it would have been more interesting. Like as Anakin still kind of indirectly kills her. That's what we're made yeah. to believe. Right. So I see it. He kind of choked her a little bit. Still shouldn't have, shouldn't have died from those injuries from that doesn't make any sense, but it would have been more interesting if she managed, maybe she came to Anakin on Mustafar and she tried to stop Anakin before Obi-Wan did. Or they did it, tried to do it together, and maybe she took a shot at him with a, a laser blaster or a gun, and he deflected it and then went back and hit her, but the kids survived because they were Force-sensitive. Um, And that's how, I don't know, these are just ideas that all, I always kind of tinkered with in the back of my mind, a little bit more believable. Instead of just this, I give up on my will to live. I, oh, I think I there's think... probably a, like a dozen scenarios we could yeah. come up with right now that are better than how the, the character turned out. I mean, I agree, Harry, like something like that, where the character just sort of ends. I think it would have served Anakin's character as well more if he had been more directly responsible for her death as opposed to just he broke her heart. Yeah, and it would have been more interesting for her if she may have been the one who... Maybe even convinced Obi-Wan we have to stop him. And maybe yeah. she says, I've got to kill him. I've got no choice. Yeah, that would have been far more interesting. Absolutely. Right. Or what if she joined him and then it was Obi-Wan uh, had to kill her? Holy shit. Uh, I mean, guys, we, could, yeah. we could come up with so many yeah. things here. Yeah. The inclusion of that one sequence, like they could have kept it. Like Anakin kills her and the end. She doesn't give up on life. It's stupid. Or what? Yeah, not, just... not even inadvertently kill her. What if he got so angry that yeah. he became so consumed with anger and hate that he killed her. And then you could do away with the end scene of the no, you know, because he has fully turned at that point. He's like, all right, I killed her because, hey, that's how we roll on the dark side. Yeah, I don't <laughs> even want to even touch the no scream at the end. Oh, that God. just That just signifies almost everything that's wrong with the prequels. Right yeah, I thought it was a, a great addition, like that sound bite to Return of the Jedi. What do you say? <laughs> oh, yeah. Totally oh, tied Sag it together there. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Sorry, it's layers, guys. Layers. That's what George is doing. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's so dense. Fucking grand. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you, Rick McCallum. <laughs> Yeah, man. Fuck that you know, we guy. keep we keep uh, bashing uh, George Lucas, but I think McCallum actually does deserve quite a bit of the blame for these movies because he probably yeah. protected George Lucas from anyone's possible negative opinion of what George was trying to do. It should have been his job to reel in George Lucas. What's a producer's do on these types of movies? 
Yeah, but I think the failure here is just even on the concept of the story. You know, I agree. I think George had a rough, a broad idea of these stories in the back of his mind or in some notepad, which is probably only a page long for three movies. But he needed to really nail down these three scripts pretty solid before even starting out on The Phantom Menace for it to work because it's so dependent. It's such a intense and complicated character arc that is required to be shown on screen. You need to do it right. And as we talked about, he waited till the last movie to kind of like, not even the last movie, like kind of like halfway through the last movie to kind of even explore some of the stuff. And that's where it fails. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right there, Harry. I think he needed uh, assistance on these screenplays. They needed another, at least one or two more passes with another set of eyes in order to lock everything down before they even put every anything in front of the camera. If these scripts had a, had another pass, with a talented writer, we're in a different world right now. Probably, you know? like there are elements here that do work well, but when it but it doesn't it doesn't hit it when it really really needs to, and then we're left with what we're left with, which is just you know, damn, what a shame, what a, yeah. what a fucking shame. I also want to throw out there that I waited thirty. I know the moment moment of failure for me was I waited thirty years. Uh, what is it? Not thirty years. I don't know how long is it was it since Return of the Jedi and Revenge of the Sith. So twenty something years. I waited for Obi-Wan's recognition that Anakin turned to the dark side and became Darth Vader. And all I got was, oh, I turn it off. I can't watch anymore. And I'm saying it in exactly <laughs> the same way that Ewan McGregor is saying it. So coming back, I think Ewan McGregor dropped the ball and so did George Lucas here and directing these scenes. It was terrible. Oh my God, I was so mad. Um, I'm glad you bring that up, that one sequence up. Because like while I did praise Ewan McGregor, that was something that did strike me. Like when like Yoda's warning him, like you don't want to look at the at the video and then he looks at it and it's so poorly executed like even the holograms themselves but ewan mcgregor's reaction to it it's so ugh. and when that happened like i was i was not really happy with the whole movie and when on my first viewing when that happened i i like mentally checked out i was done i was saying i waited this long for that fuck it I'm, it's done it's over failed yeah. i didn't even get that yeah, I think uh, I think that's correct. Yeah, it didn't it didn't have the weight that it needed to have at nope. that point. That's a very important scene that needs to happen there, and uh, they dropped the ball for sure. Uh, okay, well, why don't we bring to a close "Revenge of the Sith"? Final thoughts, recommendation, Andrew? Why don't you start us off? I'll still recommend it. Like I do believe that this is the best of the three prequel movies, and I think there are some performances, like minus a couple of misses, like from Ewan McGregor. Uh, e. McDermott's pretty good, with the exception of a couple of sequences where he's like, oh my god, this is hokey. I think it is the strongest of the three. CGI is actually very well done. Uh, the choreography on the final fight sequence is good. It's certainly not as good as Phantom Menace, which is kind of disappointing given the fact that this is the lightsaber battle we've all been waiting for. But overall, in terms of the story and the execution, I don't want to say it's consistent, but it's more consistent than the other two. I still give it a big recommendation. As I said, it's my favorite of the three, and I certainly don't mind watching it every now and then, but there are a lot of disappointing aspects to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Nathan, what are your thoughts on Revenge of the Sith? Oh, boy. I think, for me, this is the most disappointing of the three, just because we don't quite get the epicness that we were expecting for the final fall of Anakin Skywalker. I think, I mean, it's still pretty watchable outside of uh, some bad dialogue, but I mean, you have to recommend it. I mean, this is, I mean, this is like a pretty pivotal movie, I think, for Star Wars, even though it, it's uneven and doesn't really deliver the, uh, you know, the final blow at the end. But yeah, I mean, I, you know, recommend it, I suppose. 
I guess you have to recommend it, don't you? I mean, you can't not see this movie. I think it's an enjoyable watch, you know, when you when you get down to it, just to sit down and watch it. I mean, you kind of have to ignore some poorly constructed scenes and, and some bad writing. But yeah, it's rushed. It doesn't have the emotional significance that it needed to carry. I mean, it's just unfortunate, you know. Yeah, as Harry said, you know, we waited close to 30 years here to to get to this moment and Man, it just doesn't work. So much missed opportunity here. My fantasy in like, you know, that I'll put in the category of things that'll never fucking happen ever is that they'll just like, they'll remake the prequel trilogy again. Like just remake it. Like, okay, we're doing, we're doing a do-over. Like once George Lucas dies, like, okay, pay him the respect. And now he's dead. Okay, we're going to, we're going to make these properly now. We're going to make them right and make it consistent. You like, you could do it and it'd fit. So yeah, it's, it's too bad. But as far as like, which I guess we can do our rankings after, but I think uh, that Harry, could happen. Yeah. I really do. I mean, we live in a in a world now where what won't be remade at some point. That's a good even point. even a yeah. few years ago. Would you have thought that we'd be getting an episode seven? That idea was inconceivable. And yeah. considering like like nothing is safe from being remade, the chance I, I admit is pretty infinitesimal. But uh, you know, keep hope alive. Keep hope alive. <laughs> Guess you never know. Harry, yeah. you get the final word on Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, it won't be remade. I think they're just going to move into different directions here and just focus on other storylines. Yeah, this movie, as you guys said, is extremely disappointing. Uh, it's not a recommend for me. The story fails on so many different levels. The core story, as we talked about, Anakin's turn is not believable. What they do with the characters, like with Obi-Wan and his realization, it's not done there. I don't like what they did with Padme in this movie. So those are the three, your three main characters, and they failed on all accounts. So I can't, story doesn't work. Those characters don't work. CGI is okay. It's not as dated as, it won't be as dated as Attack of the Clones, but it still is not holding up as well in some shots and too much use of CGI. There's not a lot of memorable scenes. Cinematography is not, I mean, like I like the opening shot of the starships in the battle as they go towards the battle after the crawl. Exception of that, there's nothing in this movie that I really like. It's pretty ho-hum and bland and very disappointing and disheartening. It's not as insulting as Attack of the Clones, but there's no way I can recommend this. It's terrible. Okay, well, I guess it brings the prequel trilogy to a close. Does anybody have any just sort of final overall thoughts on prequels? Harry, if you want to start. It was an interesting story, and I think, unfortunately... The backlash of The Phantom Menace kind of, I, I personally have this belief that it impacted George Lucas so much that he tried to cater to the fanboys in Attack of the Clones and he kind of lost his way. And then he fucked up, as we talked about, with too much story to tell in Revenge of the Sith. So the question so many people ask is, where, what should Phantom Menace have been? And so it have been a, to make it work, it might have had to have been a radically different story even though I still like The Phantom Menace quite a bit. George as a filmmaker, of course, has lost his way, he became more interested in tech, pushing new technology, and, and his strength is in editing instead of directing actors. And I think he did a great, he did a pretty good job in The Phantom Menace, even though he dropped the ball in a couple of areas with directing the actors. But I think that was still a solid start to the sequel trilogy, and they could have still made Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith work with maybe better scripts and different directors and not making everything so CGI by, by going down that route, you're kind of not making it fit with the aesthetics of the original trilogy. And by doing that, it just feels so different and it doesn't work. And 
Uh, I think Phantom Menace is the only good one. I don't really recommend the prequel trilogy because overall, two out of three, it doesn't really work. The only good one is Phantom Menace. Revenge of the Sith is the next best one for me, and Attack of the Clones, as I said, is insulting and garbage shit. Okay, garbage shit. Okay, fantastic. Nathan, you watched the saga in the so-called machete order, so I don't think we really had a good chance to get your impressions of how that worked uh, for you in our last episode, so why don't you give us your thoughts on the whole saga, having watched it in that order. So I will also say, like, years ago, I did watch them in numerical order, so episodes one through six, and that does not work at all. It is so jarring to go from Revenge of the Sith to A New Hope. But yeah, so this time when I watched it in the machete order, it was a little less jarring. The one thing that surprised me the most was at uh, the end of Return of the Jedi. For the Blu-rays, they put Hayden Christensen... And at the very end, replacing the other actor who had played Anakin. I found, like, I didn't mind that much. I mean, it, it's still kind of weird, but it felt less forced. But, yeah, there's so many things that just, even watching it in machete order, there's so many things that just don't tie these two trilogies together. Even though they are, you know, part of a whole, the difference between them, it's really jarring. Yeah. But I do recommend Machete Order for anyone that hasn't tried it. Andrew? When it comes to the prequels, I think what really hampers them is their association with Star Wars. And I know they are the Star Wars prequel, but you remove Star Wars from it, like just kind of separate it from the original trilogy. And they're not that bad. They're not terrible movies. But because we've had the original trilogy for such a long time and they're on this pedestal for a very good reason, movies that are associated with it or anything that's associated with it have to be of a similar caliber. Like, they can't be as good, because I don't think any movie that they create from here on out will be as good as the original trilogy in terms of all of the impact it's had on society, in terms of movie making, everything. But they still have to be at a similar caliber. And the prequels just don't come close. They don't have that same attachment. They don't have those same emotional connections with the characters. But is it a decent science fiction trilogy? Yeah, it's not bad. I'd recommend it to everyone just to watch it. But it has to be separated from the original trilogy. And that's why people go out of their way to separate it because there really is no connection. Like, as Nathan mentioned, like, it's jarring. I don't know how to recommend watching the two trilogies to anyone who's new to the Star Wars universe. Like, I met someone recently and she's never seen Star Wars before. So I'm excited about this. But I'm like, how do I start off? Like, I don't, I don't really want to recommend the prequel trilogy. But it's a weird set of movies, ties into the universe, but if they remade them as like cartoons, it'd be awesome. Cause that's like, it's terrible to think that like, I, and I bring up Clone Wars a bunch in this podcast, but the acting in the Clone Wars is so much better than all of the prequels. And so it, it just, it, I still recommend it. It's decent science fiction, not the Star Wars that we love, but it's part of the universe. So I, I still recommend it, even though Attack of the Clones, I will, ugh. Attack of the Clones is not a good movie. But as okay. a trilogy, that, that not... saved you. Okay, thank God. Not going to hear the end of that if I <laughs> no, didn't correct myself. No, no, yeah, you you definitely picked the wrong show to be on if if you were going <laughs> to. I know you had lots of options of all the shows you could been on, but all right. Well, I think that pretty much wraps up our examination of the prequel trilogy. We could certainly keep going for many more hours, but I think we've hit a new record here, coming up on four and a half hours on this one, guys. So, Harry, do you want to preview what's next? It's pretty obvious. In a few days, the sequel to Return of the Jedi is coming in a few days of The Force Awakens. I don't know if you guys want to 
do a quick couple of minutes on what your thoughts. Me and Jeff kind of talked about it in our first podcast. Nathan, Andrew, how excited are you? Just quickly, one minute, what are your thoughts? Well, I know I'm pretty pumped, and I've also been going out of my way to not read too much on what the movie may be about. I've watched the, the trailers. I think I've seen one or two commercials, but I am in a spoiler-free zone Oh wow, that's uh, good for, for you. Force Awakens. I mean, they've, they've done a pretty good job, like, keeping a, a lid on things. But I am cautiously optimistic about uh, what we're going to see. Yeah, gents, be careful. I'm going to give you a heads-up warning. I'm sure you guys know, not only is the premiere tomorrow night, and then I'm sure people are going to be throwing shit out there. I'm going dark over the internet for the next couple of days. But <laughs> seriously, I'm, I'm, like, going dark. But I already know a few things, but uh, you have to dig for those spoilers. But a lot of material is coming out these days so just be weary andrew how about yourself <laughs> well i i kind of similar to, to nathan i've gone dark in regards to any information regarding this movie just because with the prequels like i don't know why i was so active like trying to find out what happened but with this one i really want to be surprised and yeah i've heard some of the theories that are out there and some of the little plot lines but nothing that would completely change how I respond to the movie when watching it. So like I've watched the trailers, I actually stopped watching the commercials and any of those like additional trailers that are getting released internationally that I keep seeing snippets of. I've gone dark just because I want to enjoy this movie. I think it's got a lot of promise given how the trailer has been put together, given how JJ is really good for that secrecy aspect of his movies. I'm, I'm really excited. And I think they, they can't get any worse than the prequels. And I think being able to start fresh with basically the world in front of them, they can do whatever they want now. Uh, I think that's what's going to make it really exciting is that we don't know what's coming. Jeff, how about yourself? Like you and I had talked about in our first episode, I mean, I'm pretty pumped. I don't know if I'm going to be disappointed or not, but at this point, I don't I don't care right now. I, I want to be excited, so I'm, I'm going to be excited. If I get disappointed later, I can live with that. But for now, yeah, I can't wait. I don't know any spoilers. I've gone dark. I don't know any story details. I have watched all of the trailers. I've watched all the TV commercials, but I, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, yeah, man, I can't wait. It's going to be awesome. I'm cautiously optimistic. I'm excited to go, though. It should be fun. All right. The marathon, probably more than a marathon. You can run a marathon faster than than this. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> thanks to our special guests, Andrew. Thanks for being on the show for a total of close to an entire working day of podcasting. So thank you very much. <laughs> thanks uh, Nathan, again for thanks, having me. Yeah. Thanks for being here, Nathan. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Harry, I guess we'll, we'll see you at the premiere for The Force Awakens and yep. we'll do it up all over again. Oh, fuck. Where did I put the tickets? <laughs> <laughs> And next week on the show, Aries Funeral. Yes. <laughs> All right, guys. Have a good night. It was fun. It's bold in terms of jerking people around, but I may have gone too far in a few places. <laughs>